This is the intro song for the Never Daily podcast that we do called The Hugs Podcast. Let's start by taking a deep breath of something, preferably air. And as the emotional, pensive guitar music comes in, let all of your worries go. Take another deep breath and prepare yourself for this episode. It might suck. Or... It might free your earballs to soar with the beagles. This is the Hugs Podcast. Welcome to the Hugs Podcast. How can I help you? I mean, <laughs> welcome to the Hugs Podcast, the Never Daily Podcast, where we bring you happiness, joy, light, and hugs from three guys that are all doctorates in hugs. Mm. I'm the operator. I'm I'm Jack Luna. I'm Kent Chungus. And we are eleven. And we're 11.59. Media. Yes. We'll work on that part. I don't even think I could fix that in the edit. So we're going to roll on. Nailed it. Hey, guys, guess what? What? This is our first episode. But did you know that we're already (sighs) award-winning? No. No, we are. I'm just going to, okay. I'm just going to read you a couple of these. Erica Bradford. No, I'm just going to say the first name. Erica. (laughs) (laughs) To keep her anonymous. I'm going to change their last names. This is going good. This is from Erica Bradford Stein. Right. Okay. She says, ah, he, hockey stick, hockey stick emoji. Yeah, exclamation. I needed this today so badly for my earballs and for my sanity. Perfect timing, guys. Thank you so many hugs. Smiley face emoji, heart emoji. <sighs> I can't believe it. We've already got awards. So here's another one. I love that intro music. Remember when you used it on another episode of Dark Topic podcast? Oh, that's not real. That's just a reminder. I think that's not really an award. Here's one of the uh, the a GIF animated GIF from the from the hit show The Office of some of the guys from The Office dancing. Okay, that's a cool award. And then one more. Oh, please stop for a sec, please. Yeah, and I think it's pronounced GIF, like peanut butter. Tracy says, "Best news ever!" Exclamation point. Okay, cool. Here's the thing. Uh, we're doing this to a public audience and they don't know who we are. Right. So if I was listening to a po- this podcast right now, I, w- I would have shut it off about 15 seconds ago. Yes. But you can't because you got my Venmo payment, right? I did. Okay. So that we're just, I just, just saying that that's not threatening. I'm just clarifying. I just wanted, <laughs> I meant to say, Jack, did you get my Venmo payment? And then you said yes. And now we're moving on. Also, let's just be clear really quick. Why did we have to start over this recording? It was Kent's fault, but yeah, it was my fault. Kent, Kent. So, um, Kent, you were in the, you were a Marine, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with, but yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have a point. So we've we've learned that one that uh, stress levels get high when you're presented with multiple buttons or interfaces in front of you. Um, how many buttons were you in, in charge of in as a marine? It was just one button. One. That's what you want to call it. It's just a trigger. Just the fun button. Yeah. Pew pew button, I believe, right? The pew button. And uh, I think Jack said it best on what they told you your job was in the military. Jack, what did you say? I said, here, carry the heaviest. Swear word. And then carry the heaviest burden when we get out of here. Just a weight monkey. That's all I was. (laughs) Here's the biggest gun. Here's the heaviest swearing. You go, you fuck more swearing. And Neanderthal. <laughs> Here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we need to kill a bunch of people. Kent, you're up. Okay, now live the rest of your life in therapy. Or whatever you want to do. It's, it doesn't matter. Well, I think that pretty much thoroughly covers who we... Oh, wait, no. It doesn't cover us at all. No. So, uh, Jack, tell us who you are and how we, how we were born. Sure. My name's Jack Luna. I started a podcast called Dark Topic... I went on to do a podcast called Monstro with uh, the Sword and Scale, um, Mike Boudet, you know, a well well loved uh, podcaster in the true crime podcasting community. I I blew up a little bit from there. I met the operator, left that, and uh, we started our own thing called Eleven Fifty Nine Media, where we do dark topic nine one one calls with the operator, where we cover nine one one calls with the operator who you're talking to. It's a little misleading. Ta-da. And <laughs> And then uh, we uh, we met Kent Chungus, this uh, grunt marine with you know dead in his eyes and mm-hmm. yeah just we, death in his dreams. Yeah. <laughs> when we saw that dead in his eyes, we were like that. That's eleven fifty nine material, right? <laughs> that's what we want. Mm-hmm. And he started a podcast called True Crime Kent. With with the operator and uh, my myself doing cameos, and together we became eleven fifty nine media. And on the death in my eyes thing, a lot of people ask how I can make such horrible jokes occasionally on TCK, and it's because I'm just trying so desperately hard to feel something, <laughs> anything, just, <laughs> yeah, just. It's like holding your fingers to the fire. Just want to feel something. We're gonna we're gonna put that to the side. We'll circle back on Kent's feelings. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Kent. Um, on that. This Maybe is hugs. I'm add a yeah add an emoji to that, and we'll get. It's a lot more attractive to the audience when you like our awards that we got. I read those on air because there's emojis. So. Hey, so what are we doing here? Well, if I had topped that out, I would have ended it with like the the happy with the heart, with the hands. That's how I would have ended it. Okay, I'm glad. I'm going to keep it in the edit. Then you get it. Okay, your, we'll we'll talk okay. more about your PTSDness. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll create some too. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Hey, anyway, to get started here. The Hugs Podcast is uh, a, a culmination of amazing stories, amazing inspirational things where I have paid, I mean, where I have invited Jack and Kent to come on to, on to this new podcast to share stories from their heart. 
to share. Right. Because we've we've uh, only done true crime for, for so long, and true crime is the hotness. I mean, it's what you get involved in. But, I mean, it's not necessarily what we're obsessed with. We all enjoy, not enjoy true crime. We're fascinated by true crime. And we wanted to do something that was a little more positive. And this is where the Hugs podcast is born. It gives us an outlet to share somewhat positive stories and give a hug, you know, to to the audience. Leave them feeling like, you know, when you read the newspaper, you watch the news, it's all bad news. We want to put something out there that was somewhat positive. And that's what Hugs is really all about. Yes. I was on a phone call with our host, which hosts the podcast for us, and then they do the distribution. I said, so why don't we have many ads on our true crime shows? And they said, well, true crime's kind of hard to to slot ads for. Like, you know, Procter & Gamble is not excited about you know, pitching their product on a show about dismembered mothers. And I said, oh, that makes sense. So what would you say would help us to get more ads? And they're like, do, do a show that's not so creepy. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that was really the impetus for Hugs was this is our, this is our, this is our mom's spaghetti on Palm Sweaty moment. Our sweater already. Yeah. Mm. Is, is we're doing Hugs for, for self-promotion to also bring you something special and ads ads are a big part of it. Hmm? Also, honestly, we want to hang out with each other and we really do want to do something uh, positive. It, it is, it does, you know, all jokes aside, it, it, it really gets to you. We all do our individual podcasts where we're creating this content and we're writing and researching Kent researching, you know, Horrible true crime stuff. The operator researching horrible 911 calls. Me trying to reinvent the narrative when it comes to certain um, classic true crime stories. In your own individual cages while we're doing this, it can get pretty depressing. And to be able to come together, the three of us, and just do something somewhat positive has got to be good for our mental health as well. So it is uh, selfish in multiple ways. And adds. Um, yeah, it's... Monetarily, man. Yeah. yeah. I quit my job to do this, so. <laughs> yeah, so we really, this has to work. Um, you know, though, Jack, to your point, to your point, it's funny because people hear a podcast that we do and and all of our voices are on them, but they oftentimes what's, what's the disconnect is that we're never in the same room, one. B, we're never rarely interacting with each other like on true crime kent kent and i interact but we drop jack's part in on dark topic jack has made it very clear he doesn't want us on that show so once again it's very not even allowed in the room no it's isolated and he's like look guys i'm the money i think is oh, i'm the money yeah that's what he I, said. Said so I, the the I said i was the draw i said i was the draw he's the draw so you know so we it's like we his have executive bathroom Yes, yeah, exactly. No one. He also has a parking spot out front for his minivan that we can't use. Uh, it turns out this is going to be a very honest podcast as well, because <laughs> <laughs> the operator is saying things that are argumentative in our past, and he's just acting like it's a funny thing to talk about. Yeah, and this is why I love the operator. <laughs> a lot of stuff coming up right now on a recording that should have been talked about before. I feel like, oh, it was. Just not the smiles on our faces. He's crying. He's literally crying. There's tears coming. Keep smiling. Okay. <clears throat> no, this is going to be a lot of fun. So we're each going to share a story with you every episode. 
And then, so like I said, Jack will go, Kent will go, I'll go, and then we're going to stop recording. And that's when you stop listening to the episode. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, so how should we kick this off? Jack, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. I'll get right into it. All right, my question is, before, before I begin my story, do you guys like hugs? Do you guys like getting hugged or giving hugs? I'll, I'll, hold on. Let me, let me do it this way. Operator, yeah. do, you, do you like hugs? Do you like giving hugs and receiving them? And why? Boy, you know what's funny is is I brought I've brought the I brought the hug game pretty heavy. But now yeah. I'm asking myself, do I like hug? I'll tell okay, you know what? I um I use hugs as a as a what's that as a cudgel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Often like if somebody if somebody doesn't doesn't like hugs i'm all about hugs but no i i guess i'm not a (laughs) hold on if somebody that sounds like assault yeah (laughs) that's assault (laughs) if somebody looks like uncomfortable about getting a hug you fold out bear hug them i have a relative she's a she's a a niece of mine and uh she was babysitting for us this is getting worse Mm. Worse. Just bear with me. Uh, she was babysitting for us, and she's she's had some struggles. Um, and, <laughs> Getting out uh, of your arms. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I did pair my niece and hugging. So yeah, I'm going to move through this quickly. So we we went on a date, and she was here babysitting. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. Sorry, my wife and I went on a date. She stayed home with the children. And uh, we were sitting there at, at uh, dinner, and I got a bring from the ring camera notification. Mm-hmm. There's so, there's a person at the side of your house. I was like, oh, that's weird. So I open up the app, and there's my niece lighting up a bowl <laughs> on the side of my house. <laughs> oh, no. So I just hit the talk button on the ring app so I could talk through the camera. And we're like... What are you doing? <laughs> she had no idea she was being recorded or anything. It was a very heavy moment. We stopped the date. You know how it goes from there. You know, it's like, hey, you're watching our micro children. Maybe don't, maybe don't be doing that. So I um, tough gig, so, man. You know, tough, tough gig, tough gig to be a babysitter in these days and times because that's a really normal is. thing, you know. Yeah, like the niece on the knees in the seventies. Every babysitter smoked a bowl. Yeah. yeah. I, and uh, okay, so in not being familiar with it, but and and not also being familiar with the ring notifications that there's a person on the side of my house, those things stacked up to a little bit of anxiety, having not experienced the 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 pot smoking version of a babysitter at my house yet, and mm-hmm. so we you know we went home and and uh, I guess gently jettisoned her out of the house. Uh, then we had a like a family get together two days later and. You know, so she comes over and, and I gave her a, a side hug. I gave her a side hug. It was the oh, last nice. thing, well, the last thing she wanted. And honestly, yeah. the last thing I wanted to give. <laughs> sure. But you're telling her it's okay. Like we're, we're moving on. Everything. It's okay. It was right? a bit of a reset. And I, I do believe it, it's sort of that thing where it's like, uh, you ever heard, you ever heard, uh, one of those phrases like not forgiving, uh, not for holding on to a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Oh, you know, so 
it was a, just a reflex. It's not like I'm a really smart guy, but I was like, Hey, you know, I could, I could, as an adult, I could c- continue to finger wag this child for months, you know, and make her feel like she's got to earn back some trust, but maybe I'll just start with this. So I love it. That's what I mean. Like I, I'm not a huggy, like I don't hug everyone, but I mm-hmm. use it. I use it when like it's a cudgel, needed. like, Sure. Yeah, it, when it when it's not wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah when it's not wanted. Yeah, no, I get it, yeah. man. I get it. What about you, Kent? No, I don't like <laughs> hugs. I don't like giving hugs. I don't like receiving hugs. I don't like affection. I, I don't like, uh, if you'll notice, in our groups and everything, I'm probably going to be one of the last ones to take part in any of the that that's that stuff. And it's it's me as a flawed person. It has nothing to do with 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 who they are, our people are. It's like, I was hugged a lot growing up. I had affection growing up, but about the only people that I enjoy getting hugs from and giving hugs to are my children. I have a personal bubble and and I, and I like it to stay that way. Okay. It's good to know when I meet you, I'm going to give you the biggest hug. Oh, I'm going to be surprised to make out with you all. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> we'll get this. We'll get one bedroom. Important point to bring up there is we've never met each other. We've worked and produced podcasts podcasters together for mm. a couple of years now. And some may see we're, say we're relatively successful. Others might say we've, you know, launched ourselves into the stratosphere of success and we're deliriously feeding off of the, the awards. Others may say that we've got some things to learn. Uh, all of those things aside, we've never met each other. Uh, Jack is in somewhere in the middle of Canada. Kent is in Kentucky, which is not why they named him Kent. Um, and I am I am equidistant triangle from both of those people. No, about uh, about getting hugged. I want to tell you a quick story. I I think that I I like to think I don't, but I think that I do. And I'll give you a quick. Uh, a uh, quick example of it. So I, I was flown out to New York when I was doing Monstro. Um, it's a podcast called Monstro. If you want to check it out, M O N S T R U O. Give it a five star. It's got three point four stars <laughs> at the moment. It was a lot of work. Um, but I was flown out to New York with Mike Bidet from Sword and Scale to be on the Anthony Cumia show. And if mm. I'm sure people are familiar with Anthony Cumia, the Opie and Anthony show, a big show in New York. Um, wasn't wasn't that show, but it was Kumia's show. He had recently been on uh, the Rogan Joe Rogan Experience podcast before I got there. I'm a big Bill Burr fan, big fan of all that stuff uh, related to Joe Rogan. So we get there, we get into the studio, and Kumia is sitting there at his booth, and he's looking through his notes, getting ready for the show. And Mike's talking to some people in the green room, and I'm just standing out there, not knowing what to do, beside the bleachers where they used to let people in uh, off the streets back in the Patrice O'Neill days and the you know uh, Jim Norton days and all that. And I'm kind of starstruck. Like there's Kumia, and I'm just kind of standing here trying to be polite, not saying anything to him. He looks over to his producer. Two seconds later, the producer comes out and pulls me into the green room. It's like, hey man, hey, come come in here. You want a coffee? You want a drink? And I realize I made Kumia feel uncomfortable. Kumia is like worried about getting John Lennon in New York because he did some racist <laughs> stuff. He said some racist shit, right? So he's always got a gun on him. And he's like, I'm, a, I'm like, I, I, I'm like six, three. I look kind of creepy. Um, he was worried, I, I think, about me. So, so now that's my first impression on Anthony Kumia. We get onto the show and I freeze up 
because there's a big camera beside me that goes past. He's talking about Bill Burr, my favorite comedian. He's talking to some dude on the camera. I look at this this monitor. It says like 125,000 people are watching. I know my family's watching at home, all that stuff. And and they're not talking about our podcast. They're just talking about comedy. And I'm not a comedian. I don't comment on YouTube videos and stuff that they're posting on the screen and you know bantering back and forth from. I'm there to back up Mike. So I just kind of freeze up. In my mind, I go to this place from I compartmentalize and I, I retreat and I tell myself I'm like either I'm jumping out of this window and making a big splash, or I'm just you know I'm just gonna sit here and be quiet. Don't laugh. Don't look goofy. Just shut down. And I did for two and a half hours live. Wow! In New York, in front of Cumia, if you know. So. Mike Boudet's girl is there and she was a sweetheart. Me and her getting along like brother and sister. Like we, we had a really good connection and all that. And she's sitting in the bleachers. The show finishes up. I don't say a word. The only words I say are the guy goes, are you a serial killer? And I go, not yet. Like, like I was <laughs> trying to make a joke, but the way I said it sounded real. And they didn't talk to me again. I think it's because you have very serious eyes. Yeah, <laughs> I looked at them like I was mad because I was pissed off, right? Mm. Because of the situation. Like, it was like they were playing hopscotch. They were skipping rope and they weren't letting us jump in. And I was a little pissed off about this. Like, why did I fly all the way out here? And, or get flown all the way out here? I didn't pay for it. Anyways, to go with hugs. The show ends, two and a half hours of this misery I go through. And the lights turn off. And I stand up and they all are shaking hands. And I'm kind of still like a fuck. Sweary swear. There's... And I turn and Mike Bidet's girl walks, just walks right up to me and gives me a hug. That made it worse. Uh, For me, a little bit. Because I was like, oh, I did do as bad as I felt I did. (laughs) Oh, no. There's people trying to console me. Yes, it was that bad. (laughs) <laughs> it was that bad, and, but but you know when it comes to hugs, I really appreciated what she what she did there. It was it was embarrassing, but it was already embarrassing enough. So uh, when I got home, my girl gave me a hug too, and I was like, "Listen, everybody, I was okay. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with like you know going to New York, get chewed up, spit out. You know, I'm the classic story of a guy going to New York, get chewed up and spit out. And uh, the hugs that I received from that situation." really did mean something to me so i'll I'll take him when it when it really when it's really necessary though a hug is is inherently embarrassing uh in front of other people i find at times if you really needed it you know i think that what you're speaking of is is honestly it's one of the reasons that we decided to do this show because what we found on our other shows where we were finding a lot of people that were listening to the content that we brought to the episodes of our various shows, but that the connective tissue between us and the people that were listening had everything not to do with the content and more about connection with us. And it became something very special. And, and we do have Facebook groups out there. And I think if you ever, if you ever check out the Facebook groups, you'll see that it's a unique place to be like it's a family. Uh, and I believe that's, that's because most people are like you, like you and I and Kent uh, or Kent and I and you, Jack, um, I didn't want to leave anybody out, but yeah. that, that so we're you doubled not, down. yeah, <laughs> that, but that we're not, I mean, there are people that, that are huggers, but for the most part, most of us just do our day and we're like, I can get through without anybody, you know, giving me a pat on the back or encouragement or subtle, you know, praise. But 
when we get that, when we connect, it educates us. It it shows us that, oh, as right. I didn't know I needed this. I didn't know that this was something that in my life that I wanted or needed. But now that it's here, I really want to keep that. And whether it's, you know, pandemics or just our nine to five jobs and the A to Z kind of day that we lead with our families, children, being alone, our pets, whatever those things are, we have all kind of lost the value of connection. When Kent said that the only people I really feel comfortable hugging are my kids, Kent, the reason why, like, I I know what a hug is. As much as we want to make fun of it and beat around the bush, what it is is like you you are touching you are touching chests, you know your your bodies. We know what a hug is, but like there's like um, if it's really done in 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 the right way for the you know it, it's not uncomfortable. It's completely right. And with your own children, like you're like that's why they put the baby on the mother as soon as it's born to get that connection. It's almost like, skin on skin contact. Yes, mm-hmm. it's like it's like connecting their spirits almost, you know. If you get a really warm hug from somebody in the right moment, it's it's right. You know what's right. But a hug can often be very awkward when that is not being reciprocated between the two groups. And often my uncomfortability with a hug is that it's not genuine the same way that I can't say I love you to somebody who I don't actually love. You don't just hand out a hug in my world like a handshake. You know, and I feel like a lot of people yeah. these days are doing, oh my God, haven't seen you forever. Hug both their hands, like kind of like air, air hugging corpse hands on the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I should probably elaborate. Like, I appreciate the, uh, the virtual hugs, you know, I, I appreciate that. But like in person, if I see somebody that I went to high school with and, and I haven't seen them since sophomore year, like you don't need to, you don't need to touch me. Yes, I agree. If we got together at some point, though, our senior year, and we killed somebody, and we made a pact that we were never going to tell anybody, <laughs> and then I run into him at Walmart. That we can have a hug. You like, can that's have a fine. hug. <laughs> Just, and I'm not going to enjoy it then, even, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Like I just think it's like, it's like throwing around the word love too willy nilly. Like, I agree. We, just, we don't always need to touch each other. I agree. Uh, I'll tell you something. So I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, so everybody's seen a massage, uh, like a place where you can get a massage. And everybody's, always, uh, you know, we've all seen <laughs> physical therapy places. Um, uh, all these places, you know, where you can go and, you know, have somebody kind of work with your body, right? Well, there's a new thing. Right. Masturbate to you. Mm. Probably not. That, I don't think that really happens. But mm, it does. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Ken's nodding his head and looking at his lips. No. It does happen. No, try Googling it. You won't find it a bit. Anyway, moving on. Promise it happens in Bulgaria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Hey, anyway, <laughs> so there are these new places that are popping up called Flexology. I don't know if you've seen these kind of places. What they do is they literally bring you in and they, they stretch you. So they, they put your body in positions and then they stretch different portions of your body. And I had this done. And there was something really unique that happened. I think that actually is relevant to hugs uh, as a physical, as, as a, as a, as an interaction. So like, for example, I've, I believe I have tendons made out of Kevlar there. I'm not a flexible person. So my sister, she's doing this reflexology on me because she's a certified personal trainer and um, like my legs on her shoulder and she's pushing into that. And, and I can feel that, that point where I'm like, oh no, my body won't, doesn't do this. She's like, 
I just felt that. And I was like, what, what do you, you know, you, you felt me say no, right? My body said, don't move that way. And she said, but just give that to me, give it to me. And so she, she pushed me to that point and then, and she said, now I want you to push into me. So I'm, she's not pushing me anymore, but she said, she said, push your leg into me. And so I gave her a little bit of pressure at that point where it was pretty tight. You know, I was like, mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think I can go any further. And then she, she counted to like three or five. And then she said, okay, stop. And I stopped. And then she, she just motioned forward and I moved past that, that scary point. And my tendon just kept stretching. Like my leg kept stretching. And she, we, we did that like two or three more times. It was amazing. Like I was at, my leg was at noon and it wasn't going to move past noon. Right. Hmm. After this stretching, I was more at like three. It was nuts. And my body's never done that kind of thing. And she said, what it is, is your body tells you where, where it thinks you should stop. Right. And so because of that, most people can't push their body past that point. You can't force your body because it'll just keep in that tense mode. And it's like, I told you, don't push me, don't push me. But because of the way she, she did it, instead of her pushing me past that, and then my body not trusting that to happen, she said, push against me. Mm. So I took control and I pushed into her. And then when I let go, she was able to move through that. And it was really amazing. And I think about that sometimes now that I think about hugs and I think, have you ever given somebody a hug and either you or them, there was a spark in that hug and you, and you stayed hugging for just a little bit longer than, yeah. than you would normally conveniently hug someone. But there is a spark that says, I really needed this. Yes. I and you stay there. I understand. You know, you know, what's funny about that story is that I was always going to ask you why you have a baseball bat with a shoe on it in a sleeve yeah. behind your back. But now I understand that your leg got pushed up so far behind your back that it's just there, right? Exactly. And you hop, yeah, and you hop on one foot off. To yeah. Do I, uh, see leave a room. I was never going to bring it up, but it's a yeah. conversation starter. It's uh, hey, why is your leg back there? Well, let me tell you a story about me having bad tendons and now I don't. And then, I give them a card to the flexology place. But, but you but do no, look weird I, naked. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's also hard to uh, retain any kind of bowel movement. Uh, it, right. Uh, it does, does make your genitalia look look a lot more impressive when you only have one leg, though. Yeah. And it's where your left leg should be. I feel like I was trying to go, uh, like, go somewhere. Old magician's trick. Emotional and positive. With, but I feel like... Should I get going? Yeah, why don't... Hey. All right, so... This is my hug contribution. When I was 12, 13 years old, I was forced to go to a new school because mine only went up to like grade six. Um, so I had to transfer from the school to seven, eight, and then go on to high school. Uh, and the school that I had been at was small and wholesome. You know, we'd play marbles at recess, uh, play sports, not a whole lot of fights or bullying as it was a small school. Uh, we were all like wearing track pants and G.I. Joe shirts and you know nobody was really flexing we were all just kids uh, wearing our pajamas to school 
I mean, we'd all, once in a while, the biggest, the bullying would happen would be all the guys would hold hands and walk around school and say, anyone who hates girls, please join in. Whoever hates girls. And then the girls would all start holding hands. Whoever hates boys, please join in. And then, like, there'd be girls going around the school and guys going the opposite way around the school, hating boys, hating girls. That's that's as close as, like, the hate God. It was very wholesome and uh, pathetic. But when I went to this new school, I immediately realized, you know, I, I was kind of cool in the school. I was that I was accepted by everybody. Everybody was kind of cool. No, nobody was an underling. And at this new one, there was a hierarchy, and there were like tough kids there. It was a bigger school, and they had all kind of proven themselves in certain ways. So all these new kids coming from the wimpy school I came from were getting picked on like crazy. And I decided to rise above it. I was, I was getting in fights daily. I was from like a bit of a rougher neighborhood. My back, my background was rougher than most of the kids I went to school with. So like I kind of had an idea of what I needed to do here. And I started proving myself in strange ways. You know, I pulled away from the pack of my former classmates who were getting swallowed by this new situation, and, you know, getting cuckolded almost like they were all just being quiet and just trying to get through the day. But I was, I was stepping up to it, uh, standing out. And I earned a new place within this new group. I would do things like I would stand at the chalkboard and they would whip erasers at me and whatever. And I thought I was cool, but really I realized I was being like the ultimate kid who was being picked on. But I could take it, you know. I would start doing things like pulling pranks, like chewing up big spitballs out of uh, construction paper or Bristol board and chucking it at the clock. And who did that? It's because the teacher would look to see what time it is. And there's this big gooey red uh, spitball hanging over the clock and everyone knew it was me. So I was starting to get a bit of a reputation, you know. Um, I'd fart on command. Hey, Jack, fart. Like, yeah, well, wait till it's real quiet. Fuck, let it rip. You know, fart. Who did that? You know, everyone knows it's me. I'm the, I'm the, I think I'm the sh- swear word. Uh, I, 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 one time a group of us went past this art teacher who had big fake eyelashes and I reached up and ripped one of her eyelashes off. I was a champion, right? So <laughs> after, after school, you know, after doing all this work that I was doing to, to boost my reputation, uh, I'd volunteer for all kinds of heinous stuff beyond what's available in the classroom. You know, I'd drink bong water in grade seven. We're smoking weed. Uh, I'd break into houses and rearrange the furniture so that people thought they had a poltergeist in their house. You know, like harmless kid stuff. You, we, we all yeah. do this kind of thing, right? No. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyways, when the Jackass movies began in like 2000, I was 20 at that time. And I had an affinity for those guys because I saw a lot of myself in, in characters like Steve-O. Um, and all of them, I guess, but mainly the, the lower-level guys who had to do the gnarliest stunts. Even in my 20s, I would do things like jumping out of an apartment window onto cars. Uh, I'd arrange for friends to chase me across a busy street, and they'd pretend they're beating the crap out of me. Uh, so the cops would get called. They, they'd pretend to be gang-banging me on the side of the highway. Uh, you know, so the cops would get called and then the cops would come and I'd be the only one there like holding my butthole like, oh my God, I just got raped by a gang of kids and you know, just regular kid stuff, you know, we would do. Yeah, yeah. regular kid stuff. Regular. And anyway, you know, I, I realized, I realized after a while that I wasn't cool. I, I was just insecure and trying to get attention, you know, allowing abuses on me, risking my health for the entertainment of others. Uh, in any given situation, it was always like, uh, Jack will do it. You know, Jack, come here, Jack, come here. Jack, eat this bag of mushrooms. Jack, take five hits of acid. You know, they get me all screwed up and laugh. Um, 
make me smoke so much weed and and then we'd be in a house where the parents weren't there and they they claimed the parents were home and they'd rush upstairs and push me out a side door slam the door locking on me i'm in the middle of a rainstorm super screwed up and just getting rained on everybody laughing at me you know I, i was i was i was that kid i was getting bullied and i thought that i was like a champ or something like that but i was just like i was just like their their piss on as as ken would kent uh, brought me to that phrase i was their piss on and and so from this anyways i wanted to share with everyone the story of poopies uh at the time of this recording barely barely anyone will know the name poopies is that an ad are you doing a promo right now for poopies no. is this a product it, no. it'll sound like it it'll sound like it i wish i was um but poopies by October of 2021, this year we're recording this in 2021, everyone will know who Poopies is. He is the newest member of Jackass and a future star in the culture of all this. His name is Sean McKinnery, a.k.a. Poopies. And he's an underground amateur stuntman, a jackass type who got his start being a professional piss-on, much like the situation I accepted as a kid. He came from a broken home, poor, you know, moved around a lot. Eventually ended up in California where he didn't fit in. He was from Missouri. Um, he didn't talk or dress like a California kid at the time and found himself being picked on immediately. He, he's driving around like a little scooter and wearing like really tight, short, short Adidas shorts. And they're all wearing billabong and, you know, they got surfboards. And it's a more affluent community than, than he's able to step up to. <clears throat> and uh, he ended up kind of making his way the same way that I did. I didn't make my way, but, you know, he got accepted in in a strange way, the same way that I did as well. And I assume that a lot of the Jackass crew did, too, at least the underlings like Steve-O and all that. Uh, Today, he's in his mid-30s, poopies. But back then as a teenager, Jackass hit the scene. So he's about 35. Jackass hits the scene when he's like 16. And uh, like myself, he very much related to the guys in the videos. He, He began emulating what they were doing. He threw himself off a cliff while everyone was just hanging out. And I'm sure he drank his fair share of bong water. In Poopy's scene, everyone surfed. And uh, he was far behind in this. But he make up for it by doing the stupid stunts. Like riding his bike down an embankment and trying to jump like a really deadly gap and not making it. And like falling into sewer water and somehow surviving with like a condom on his head. He survived many stunts where like a lesser man, like a, like, I don't know. It's just like, he's a very lucky guy. He's got a head like a piece of wood. Uh, he, he's just survived somehow. Many of these stunts, you check out Poopy's uh, YouTube channel, the Poopy's channel, it's called, but he <laughs> earned his nickname by wearing a gorilla mask and gorilla hands and taking a dump in a busy intersection where he was promptly arrested while his friends rolled around laughing at Amanda Bush. He, he goes to take a dump in the middle of the intersection, and there's a cop sitting at the intersection, and he gets swarmed like he just robbed a bank, he says. The name and reputation of Poopy's cost him the chance of having a girlfriend all through high school. He had no date for prom. I have a quote here from Poopy's about this quote. All through high school, I never had a girlfriend, never went to prom, never did anything with a chick because my name was Poopy's. I thought, man, I met these surfer kids and now they're ruining my life. But I kept surfing and going to the same beach, kept putting in time to be one of the boys. And that's all it comes down to, just being one of the boys, end quote. After school, Poopies just kept on being Poopies and found himself hooked up with infamous surfer Jamie O'Brien after moving to North Shore, North Shore Hawaii. Poopsies became a bit of a star on the show Who Is Job, Who Is J-O-B, a play on the Jamie O'Brien name. And after many death-defying stunts, mostly involving surfing, uh, many of which he should have died or become paralyzed doing, 
Poopy started his own YouTube channel called, like I said, Shut Up Poopies again, the Poopies channel, Big Hugs to Poopies, <laughs> and eventually caught the attention of the Jackass crew. Poopies is an example of success born from insane risk. He's a pure soul with little talent or athletic ability, but full of heart and dumb courage. You will see this man's star rise. He's a man with a mixture of joy and pain and insanity forever in his eyes. Something along the lines of like Riff Raff. You guys know Riff Raff. Like you look into certain guys' eyes and usually they're light blue and you're like, what is going on in there? And then he just drinks a piss jug, you know? Uh, This fall of 2021, he's going to hit the big screen. Um, As a child of the movies, we all loved on, and and this will be in uh, Jackass Forever. Uh, he almost dies surfing through shark-infested water. He jumps the shark is the name of the uh, stunt. Uh, jumping the shark, by the way, is is a term that comes from the Happy Days movies where uh, Fonzie got on water skis and tried to jump a shark. And it's forever kind of like in the vernacular now because it was like one of the worst moments in television history. A lot of people think in it, they think that it ruined television. <laughs> like they tried to do something way far out and it didn't really quite land. This is what poopies does. He emulates us and, and he tries to jump actual sharks. Um, it's, this is no secret. He actually lands in the shark pit. They only go 10 miles per hour as they pull him up off the ramp. He lands right in the middle of this, chummed waters of sharks and has two arteries severed from a shark attack and almost dies. So stay tuned. Check out the Poopies channel to learn more about my man Poops. Poopies is going to be a sensation. Big hugs to Poops. And I feel like what they're starting to do here is, I was talking to you earlier about this, Jack, is is pass on the torch. Because, you know, the guys at Jackass are starting to get old. Johnny Knoxville is completely gray. Yes. I think he wears a catheter most of the time now. He broke his sweary swear. Yeah. And I feel like he's the first like new addition. You know how like SNL, they have like a re- they retire a cast and get a new cast every five, six, seven years. That mm-hmm. feels like what, what is starting to happen here is they're like like he's the first new cast member. To your point there, Ken, he what I'm trying to say here is that that kid that that I was or that a lot of us were, maybe you guys were in certain ways as well, he is the one who made it. He stuck to it. Yeah, I'm jumping out of jumping out of apartment windows onto trucks and all that kind of stuff, trying to impress people because the jackass inspired me to do these kind of things. I take it further as I got older, but now I'm like 40 years old. Poopies is 35, and he kept doing that stuff. The guy jumps off of an oil tanker and breaks his back, and then he's out the next day doing more stunts, you know. And he's just like one of those guys who'll just show up at your house and be like, "You got any more of that cake from yesterday from the birthday party?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's poopies and he, he's the next, like, haven't ate since the birthday party. <laughs> yeah, you know? He's like the next Steve O, man. Yeah. He's our guy. He's our guy. I'll tell you. I did uh, a little research on, I love this dude. I love this. Mm-hmm. And he almost seems, he's very, uh, I mean, I don't mean this in an offensive way, but very simple, simple minded, it seems. Just a very simple man. Some of our biggest comedic icons. There's not a lot of frills to those guys. You know, they, they are very one track, good at, good at one thing, and that's what we admire them for. You know, you think of the the comedian acts from along Laurel and Hardy, you know, straight straightforward, not a lot of complexity, just doofus and straight man, you know, it was yeah. beautiful. That was always the beauty of Jackass, though, was there was never a straight man. 
Right. It was all just... <laughs> They're out for grabs. Like, their head guy, Johnny Knox- Knoxville, has taken the most, like, Knox for, you know, I'm not trying to do something there, but, like, dude, in this new Jackass movie, Johnny Knoxville is 49 years old, and he gets hit by a bull harder than anyone's ever gotten hit by a bull. Like, he gets hit from behind and does a backflip. You see it in the trailer. And Johnny's doing it the same as the rest of them are doing, you know? And, and it's a lovely... People will look at it the same as they look at, like, I'd say, like, an M&M or something like that. Like, where you don't quite understand it. You're like, oh, this is just garbage. No, man. This is camaraderie between these guys. These guys are taking big-time risks. These are a bunch of misfits who who um, you can recognize in your own life uh, from your past. And, and they've gotten together and done something with it. And I think it's a very special thing. It's a very entertaining thing, at least. I got to say, while I was telling that, I was looking at the op. And I know the operator really well. And he was almost tearing up at the end of me, uh, end of me uh, talking about this. And that, that goes to show you that, you know, it sounds like a very foolish thing to talk about. But, I mean, there, there is love and, 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 and um, something worth talking about in a positive way, even in the most extreme, seemingly strange and worthless situations. What you might have been noticing was... Um, there are some people in our lives where we look back on on the noise that that seemed to be their life on the day to day. You know, we call him poopies. You know, nobody nobody gives him, nobody takes him seriously. Uh, you know, it's Jack. Jack's the one that you know can eat more construction paper than anyone else and fart <laughs> on on you know on demand. The there are certain people in our lives where we we give them as much a time and attention as we would a rock'em sock'em robot set. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're good for what they do, but when their head pops off, they're not as fun anymore. And we go go on because we feel like our life is more interesting. We've got more than this one very narrow entertainment uh, human that's in front of us. Uh, yeah, but. Every once in a while. And, and it's sad. I think what's sad is there are so many people that do take that route and end up washed up, end up washing yeah, oh, out. So many, so many, you know, and then what, then, then they look at themselves and they're like, I was a failure this whole time. And, and now these, these, now, type, these types what? kill themselves. They kill yeah. themselves. Some of these I was types. Say suicide rate be, uh, amongst the tier that, you know, the class clown is probably pretty high. Um, and so when you see somebody that's actually, uh, done something with, let's be honest. I mean, Jackass is extremely sophomoric and we're not, we're not yeah. saying it's, you know, the gray poupon of, of right. uh, comedy, but, but there is, there is something that if you know the backstory of Jackass, there are, there are people that took severe risks monetarily. A lot of heartbreak uh, with Jackass too. Yes. There uh, are Ryan Dunn. Ryan Bam Dunn. Bam Margera. It's happening yeah. right now. I mean, yeah. right. and continues to happen. Right. I mean, people have really taken some hits and if you look at anything successful, I think there's a lot of risk in going a path that is that is unconventional um and i think what got me kind of emotional jack there was the fact that you've led a very unconventional life and a very noisy life um and i could see that as you were talking you were talking about him but but in reality you 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 are you are following that path where you you have the ability to land and settle a little bit now because 
you don't have to be the you don't have to be that guy. Like you're, you're amongst us. We love you, you know, Kent right. and I, and, and the, the audiences that we have and everything that you're finding footing where a lot of people find that footing in their life earlier on with a graduate degree and a nine to five job at a, as an accountant. So, you know, they find footing. It may not be the desired footing, but it's enough that it sort of acts like golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm because yeah. they they can't change it they they're like this is good enough this this gets my family fed i may not like it every day but but the but the 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 path that poopies took the path that you're taking the path i believe that we're taking right is one where we we forged the cuffs you know and we want to be where we are you know we're we've built this thing we've built our path i agree and it and we 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 bucked a lot of disagreement along the way. I've I had many many conversations. I don't know if you ever did, but with people that would say, "Hey, yeah, it's cool that you're trying to do this really crazy thing, but maybe don't hurt your family. Go get a job and do that at night. You know, do what everybody else does, and you know, don't don't drag your family through poverty while you get it done." But the reality is, the risk requires so much of people. Yes. You don't get a poopies unless you have a, a thousand men, little young men, the same type who end up hooked on methamphetamines and shooting themselves in a shitty apartment in Skid Row. You don't. And um, I'll move on here and, and, I'll, and I'll pass it off to Kent. But um, yeah, man, it's I've had a lot of people say to me, I can't believe you have kids. I can't believe you're doing something that's successful. It's amazing to see you do that. And I, I, they're meaning it as, as a positive thing to say to me, but I realize I'm like, you believed it. Like you believed that I was that guy. And in reality, what I was was just the last kid trying to find acceptance. And along the way, this is the way that I needed to do those things. And that's why I can yeah. recognize a poopies or, you know, like, a, you know, these, these guys who seemingly don't give a swearing about anything, but they care. They care so much. You listen to Steve-O talk in his podcast. He is one of the most thoughtful, intelligent people that I've ever heard talk. And just to see him in those videos, you'd think he's just a scum of the earth if you, if you weren't willing to look deep enough, you know? Well, I think that what it all, if you boil all this down, Jack, wherever you're from, you may have been a poopies. But in Operator and myself and all of our, our listeners and crew, you did find your your gang of jackasses. You did. Yes, I did, man. I did. I did. And I'll hand it off to you now, man. You're poopies. You're the poopies of 1159 Media. So you can tell your story now. <laughs> so thankful for that, too. <clears throat> Gosh. Hey, uh, hey, Op, who is, who is your, in your opinion, the greatest stand-up comedian of all time? Oh, without a doubt... I think it's um, Mitch Hedberg. Okay. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, that is a... And I understand why you said that. Uh, it's, he's so different, though. Yeah. He is. That's the ops humor, though. There's nobody else like Mitch. Yeah. I mean, to me, to me, it's like... Uh, I mean, you pick your indie band that made it in spite of everything, right? That's Mitch Hedberg to me. I mean, he he shows up, after generations of comedians, he's like, I'm going to make one-liners happen again. And they're like, yeah. nah. And then he slays it until the day he dies. Just deadpan. Yep. 
Yeah. Can you, can you think of a Mitch, Mitch Hedberg joke just so the audience uh, gets an idea of what kind of joke he told? I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I can look it up myself. My favorite is this one. Okay. He says, I was talking to a guy and he's like, hey, check out this picture of me from before. And I said, man, every picture is a picture of you from before. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is a guy asked me if I wanted to buy a frozen banana. Do you want a frozen banana right now? And I said, no, but I will take one because I would like a regular banana later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's Mitch Hedberg. Oh, he died. <laughs> he did. Overdose. Overdose. Yeah. Yeah, tragedy. Comedy. What about you, Jack? That's Bill Burr, without a doubt. I just think his stage presence and his ability to to um, be himself on stage and, and take chances and not care if the audience pulls back, actually make the audience pull back and then bring them, be able to, because he's a good guy at heart, behave as this, you know, rock is not giving a shit about anything, but the guy is so intelligent and uh, really sees the world very clearly. And he can pull you around in almost any subject. I get, I, I take a lot of tutelage from, from uh, Bill Burr and his Monday morning podcast and the Bill Burt podcast he does with Burt Kreischer. I want to tell you a quick joke before you get into your thing there, Kent, and we hear your favorite comedian, but on the Bill Burt podcast, uh, Burt Kreischer, and this isn't a Bill Burr joke, but they all laugh so hard at this. And I told you this already, Kent, but I think it's the funniest joke I've ever heard. Bill and Burt, they're talking about this comedian joke where he says, all right, I like to drink and drive, but it's just on my motorcycle, right? And my, and I'll go out for like 20 minutes on my bike when I'm super hammered, feel the wind through my hair, and I feel really super alive. So I like to do that privately. But my wife has caught me a couple of times doing this, so I have to do it like on the sneak. So it's around like 10 or 30 or whatever at night, and his wife has gone to bed, and he's hammered. So all right, I'm going to go for a little scoot. So he goes out on his motorbike, zips around for like 20 minutes, feels alive, comes back in, sneaks back into the house, creeps back up the stairs, gets into bed, and his wife turns to him. She goes, you were out on your bike. And he goes, no, why would you say that? And she goes, because you're wearing your motorcycle helmet. (laughs) (laughs) Who said that? Whose joke is that? I don't know. It was like they wouldn't name him. You know, they wouldn't name him because they were stealing his joke, right? But I think it's the funniest joke I've ever heard. (laughs) Awesome. That's hilarious. I think the funniest joke I ever heard was a conspiracy theorist dies, right? And he he gets to the gates of heaven, a hardcore conspiracy theorist. And and God goes, you know, you're here at the gates. You can have, you have one question. I'll answer any question 100% honestly. You have one question. The conspiracy theorist, like, thanks for a minute. And he goes, okay, okay. Who killed JFK? You know, I spent my whole life trying to figure out who killed JFK. And God kind of shrugs and he and he goes, Look, man, it, it was Lee Harvey Oswald from the book depository building. It's that simple. There was nobody else. Lee Harvey Oswald. Conspiracy theorist looks at God for a minute, shakes his head, looks down at the ground, and under his breath goes, This goes higher than I thought. <laughs> I've got one. I've got one. All right. You want to hear the best? Okay, Jack. Jack, do you want to hear the best knock-knock joke in the world? (laughs) Not really. Yes. (laughs) Okay, you start. Knock-knock. 
Oh, God. <laughs> it is. You know what? You're right. <laughs> you did it. Uh, All right, Ken, let it rip, man. Well, I, you know, asking me who my favorite stand-up comedian is is harder for me to answer. I think I genuinely think it's harder than than having to ask like, what's your favorite movie, or having to answer what's your favorite movie, what's your favorite song, what's your favorite band. There's so many that I love: Anthony Jeselnik, Bill Burr, like you said, Jack, Theo Vaughn, yeah. Burt Kreischer. Um, I just Nate Bargatze. I've been listening to a lot of Nate Bargatze lately. But the reason I wanted to to start this little story off with that question is because it's important because um, I would argue that everybody that that we just talked about, especially Bill Burr, um, were heavily influenced by a man by the name of Sam Kinison. And uh, Operator, uh, are you familiar with Sam Kinison? I I know the name. Good name. And Jackie, have you ever heard of Sam Kinison? Yes. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Always screaming at everybody. Yeah, he had a, and I, I will front load this with the fact that I'm not the biggest fan of of Kennison's act, but I did like who he was as a person, interviews and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, it evidently resonated with a bunch of people because he was probably the biggest stand up comedian of the late '80s, early '90s, right alongside you know Bill Hicks, Andrew Dice Clay. Um, he he was, but Sam Kennison was born December eighth, eighteen fifty, nineteen fifty three to a Pentecostal preacher and grew up in Peora, Illinois. Now, this is a big deal because Sam would, in his at the age of 17, become a Pentecostal preacher himself. And he did this until he was 24 years old. Now, he had a couple brothers. He had two older brothers and one younger brother. And they, they grew up poor, very little money. And like I said, Kennison begins preaching himself from the ages of 17 to 24. And this would later influence his stand-up comedy. He had a very, uh, he was a, he was a fire and brimstone type preacher. You know what that means? Yes. Kind of, uh, it's, it's the kind of preacher that's like, they always end up, they had to take a breath and it, it's a very distinct style. And he would kind of bring that style with, into his stand-up comedy. Now at 24, he had a, he, he would later remark, on, um, I believe it was Larry King, that he had a very uh, complicated relationship with God. And at, at 24 years old, he, he abandons preaching and decides he wants to try stand-up. And he starts out at a comedy club in Houston, Texas. Uh, it, he, he likes it. Not super successful at first. But in 1980, he moves to L.A. He, he, he takes the dive, moves to L.A., Becomes a doorman at the at the notorious comedy store, you know, one of the biggest, the, not one of, it's the biggest stand-up comedy club in the United States, maybe the world. Uh, owned by Mitzi Shore for a long time. She passed away recently, Polly Shore's mother. And everybody that's anybody that's a stand-up comedian has has grazed those hallways of, of the comedy store. It's, it's legendary. So he gets a job there as a doorman. And uh, it's also around this time that he develops a love for drugs and alcohol, mainly cocaine. And, you know, Sam, despite his very, very religious upbringing and his, his conflicted personal beliefs about religion, his act is not family-oriented. It is very, very blue, um, very graphic, 
lot of F-bombs. I mean, it was a complete persona change from going to preaching to this. And also now he's doing a lot of cocaine and drinking alcohol. Finally gets his big break on HBO's HBO's Rodney Dangerfield's ninth annual Young Comedian Special in August of 1985. And from here, it's kind of the catapult into the superstar that he would become because later that year, he would also appear on David Letterman and, and it's just skyrocket from here. He, he, he skyrocketed. And this is something that we don't see a lot now, this level of celebrity in such a short, short period of time because he becomes a rock star. He purchases a Corvette in 1986 with a license plate that says X-Rev for X-Reverend. Uh, and, and he just becomes, he, he is a, he's a standup comedian, but he lives a rock star's lifestyle. He's, he's in tight with all of the, the rock stars of LA, you know, Guns N' Roses, all of them. They're all close friends doing rails of cocaine every day. Does a movie with Rodney Dangerfield in 1986 called Back to School. That was a huge hit. He had a part in it where he played a Vietnam veteran teacher. It's pretty hilarious. You can find it on YouTube. Just type in Sam Kinison, Back to School. Uh, this kind of, uh, liberal arts top kind of female student. He asks what was the reason behind Vietnam? And she gives a very, uh, what you would call left wing answer. And he's playing a very right wing Vietnam kind of grizzled veteran. It's really, it's a really funny, really funny bit loses his mind. And he does his very Sam Kinison, that scream that he became well known for. <laughs> now, although he was only five foot seven, he, he was larger than life. You know, this is a guy, he, he became known for his long trench coat, his long hair. He's kind of heavy set, Very, very distinct. And, you know, for the next couple years, his life is somewhat of a successful shit show roller coaster. He gets divorces and eventually starts dating a stripper by the name of Malika Saruri. Does a lot of cocaine, pounds of alcohol. And he, like I said, he's one of, if not the number one stand-up comic in the United States. He's a repeat guest on Letterman, Saturday Night Live, Joanne Rivers, Larry King, Howard Stern, Johnny Carson. He's hot. He's hot. Everybody wants a piece of, of Sam Kinison. He eventually does a music video called Wild Thing that had uh, musicians like Steven Tyler and Joe Perry from Aerosmith, Slash and Steven Adler from Guns N' Roses, Billy Idol, C.C. DeVille from Poison, Richie Sambora from Bon Jovi, Steven Percy, where. Warren DiMartini and the late Robin Crosby from Rat, as well as Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, who became famous for his rather long appendage not long after that with Pamela Anderson. He was driving a boat with it. That's true. You can look that up. In 1991, 1991, <laughs> after six years of hard drug and alcohol abuse, and these, these stories are all, you know, heavily backed by people like Mark Marin, David Spade, Chris Rock, Joe Rogan, Polly Shore, people that got to know Sam, he, he does get clean and sober, though. In 1991, Sam gets clean and sober. His career had kind of fizzled out because of his unreliability due to the drugs and alcohol abuse. But after he gets sober in 1991, his career starts to make its, on, its, its up again. He's climbing his way back to the top. And, you know, it's important to note that anybody that knew Sam outside of the, as a person, as a human being, uh, he, they all talk about how much of a, just a big, happy, cuddly teddy bear he was how likable he was. His act may have been harsh and crude, but but who he was as a person was anything but that. On April 4th, 1992, 
He marries his longtime girlfriend, Malika Siri. They uh, honeymoon in Hawaii. Sam is now a happy, sober, and for the first time in a very long time, his life looks good. It's stable. He's in a safe place. He's, he's with this beautiful, beautiful new bride, honeymooning in Hawaii. Um, he's clean. His career is on the up, and he's enjoying his honeymoon. But on April 4th, on April 10th, 1992, he returns to L.A. with his wife to prepare for a huge show that he was scheduled to do that night in Laughlin, Nevada. So he had, he had spent, you know, six days honeymooning in the Hawaii, uh, living his best life with this beautiful lady. And he had to rush back on the 10th to do that, a show that night in Laughlin, Nevada. Now, on that Friday, Kennison was driving his white 1989 Pontiac Trans Am with his new wife, Malika, down Route 95, headed towards Laughlin, Nevada to perform a sold-out show, like I said. Behind him, his brother and one of his best friends were following in a van. It's now 7.30 p.m. Sam is on his way to Laughlin. The T-tops are down. The, wind in his, the wind's in his hair. His beautiful bride is beside him. He's sober. He's on his way to a sold-out show. His career is on the up. For the first time in a long time, he has a clear head, and, and things are good. He's probably, I don't know, he's, I would imagine he's probably talked to God a few times uh, in the last year or so. I would imagine he's blaring Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. Sam loved rock and roll. Guns N' Roses, ACDC, Metallica. He loved, he loved rock. And at the time, Guns N' Roses was big, and Paradise City is one of my favorites. And that's what I think of when I hear anything that has, does, that has the T-tops off. <laughs> it's Paradise. Take me down to the Paradise. You know, he's living his, he's, he's, he's doing good. Now, unfortunately for Sam and Malika, many miles down the road, a 17-year-old little shithead, uh, by the name of Troy Pearson. He's a, he's a Bonanza High School senior, was barreling in the opposite direction in a Chevy pickup truck with one of his classmates. Now, Troy was on his way to spring break in Palm Springs and was already sloshed to the gill. He had been drinking already. He was hammered. And they were trying to start spring break early. They were on their, like I said, they were on their way to Palm Springs. At 7.50 p.m., Troy coming the opposite direction to Sam, tries to overtake another vehicle that he felt was driving too slow, probably realistically running about 50. Many, many people say that Troy was speeding. He tries to pass another vehicle and is now in Kennison's lane. Sam tries to slow down as much as he can and then at the last minute tries to get out of the way, but it's too late. They end up hitting head-on at an equivalent of combined 90 miles per hour. Now, Sam isn't wearing a seatbelt. He is uh, thrown into the windshield where he cracks the windshield with his head, and he also breaks the steering wheel off with his chest. Malika, his uh, beautiful wife, is knocked unconscious. She's and and they're both now laying in this in this crumpled heap of a uh, Trans Am. Now, Bill Kennison, Sam's manager and brother, and Carl Lebove, who was Sam's best friend, like I said, they were in the van behind them. They quickly pull the van over. Uh, they run up to the scene. Now. This this 18-year-old that just caused this wreck, what we'll eventually find out is a death, is already standing outside of his destroyed truck, right? He's, he's just killed somebody, essentially. There's beer cans everywhere. The first thing he says whenever Bill gets to him is, God, look at my truck. Empty beer cans are laying everywhere, and, uh, and he's, all he's concerned about is his truck. Now, LeBove, 
Uh, Kennison's best friend runs up, finds Kennison sitting upright in the driver's seat. He's responsive but confused, stunned, and groggy. He, uh, he He's okay injury-wise from the looks of it, just superficially. He has a two-inch cut above his right eyebrow and a, buddy li- and a bloody lip. Kennison climbs out of the mangled heap and starts pacing in front of the wreckage. So he's on his feet. He's, he's walking around. He's out. He's conscious. He's still confused and groggy. He doesn't really know what's going on. Malika is still unconscious in the wreckage. Uh, Lebove starts begging Kennison to lay down beside the road in the gravel on the shoulder and wait for the ambulance. After a moment, moment Kennison finally agrees and does so. At 8.20 p.m., Kennison lays down on the gravel on the shoulder uh, on the side of the road and with his back in Carl Lebove's arms. So Carl's sitting behind him, kind of cradling Kennison. Uh, Carl Lebove says at this moment, and there were other people there that have confirmed this, that Sam very clearly, very clearly starts having a conversation with somebody that Lebove or anybody else couldn't see. His eyes are fixed as if in legitimate conversation. The first thing Sam says is, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Kennison then pauses for a minute, eyes focus, as if he's listening very intently to a response. He then says, but why? So he he is, well now, you can call this whatever you want, but in his head at least, at the very least, what is happening, he is seeing something or somebody, and he is having a legitimate conversation. He says, but why? Sam pauses again, eyes focused, and he's hanging on every single word of whatever it is that he's listening to that nobody else can hear. He then kind of nods and says, okay, okay, okay. And then he dies. At 8.31 p.m., Kennison relaxes, takes one more breath after the last okay, and then dies in LeBeau's arms. So Sam Sam died. Did did his wife die? She did not. She was in the hospital for two days, and then was released with minor injuries. Now Sam did have a autopsy performed, and what they discovered was to the surprise of probably nobody. Uh, when he had broken the steering wheel off with his chest, it had caused some pretty severe internal injuries. I'll, I'll say that um, what's crazy about this too is that the guy who ran into him, Troy. Yes. He ended up getting, do you know what he ended up serving as a result of this? Community service. 300 hours community no. service. Yeah. 300 hours community service. One year Jeez. probation. That's a little slap on the, it's not even a slap on the wrist. Uh, people get more than that for possession of marijuana. He he killed somebody. This, this shouldn't even be manslaughter. This is, I get so mad when I think about this little swears it had. It, it's infuriating to me, but uh, I, there's also some things that I that I would like to point out that are both ironic and tragic. Um, Kennison had many jokes in his acts about drunk driving and his support of it, but by that, it's ironic support. You know how comedians take an angle and they support things to make it funny, but it's it's odd that this is how he ends up going. Kennison had also been sober for a year. And uh, after all those years of hardcore drug and alcohol abuse, it's crazy that still somehow the bottle got him. Uh, even even though he was sober, uh, he he had escaped that lifestyle. It was that eventually that lifestyle that took his life. Still, hunted him down like a heat-seeking missile. Jeez, yeah. 
Now, I'm not a religious person uh, personally, but it is somewhat fascinating that he spent the first 18 years or so of his life so devoutly religious and also – and then the next you know, 20 years so not religious, uh, oftentimes making fun of, of religion. But he does spend the last minute of his life talking to what one can assume to be a god or a deity of some sort. Maybe I've also – heard stories of people talking to loved ones as they die. It seems to be very common. Jack, you worked in in uh, in the health field, and you were probably around a lot of people close to their death. I would imagine you've seen this quite a bit, where people see loved ones that are, that are passed away, they have conversations. Yes, no, definitely. Often they, they are uh, muttering to themselves, and they are, um, yeah, you, you, you were interrupting conversations between them and something else that's, that you can't see that's there. And they will tell you, and I've seen it probably half a dozen times, where they the the nurses will tell me in those situations where I was at, or the doctors would say, no, they're just loot. They're in a strange, screwed up fog, and it's almost like a dream state that they're in. But the way their eyes are focusing, uh, the way they're nodding their head, like Kinison was there as well. My impression was that they actually were thinking, at least, that they were speaking to somebody, and uh, and it was always positive. Yes, and it seems like in this case, it is also in a way positive because as you can hear by the end of it, Kennison, we can't hear both sides of the conversation, but whatever was said to him, he accepted it. It said that the last okay, the last word he ever said was okay, mm-hmm. but he said three of them, and, 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 and I read that uh, the first one was like defeated. The second one was kind of like um, – accepting and then the third one was pure yeah relief Rel- oh yeah okay except okay here i come that kind of it was they they said that the last one was the, the the way that he said it was like this it was okay 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 the okay 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 i believe and i really do believe he was speaking to someone on the other side what they're explaining to him there and i'm going far out here is that your body's too far gone dude if we could, we would. But your your earthly body is too destroyed to be able to bring you back. So here and here will reveal some of where you're coming to, and it's okay. And they convince him through some way of first explaining that your body's so destroyed that you can't come can't be on Earth anymore. Yeah. And then second, it's okay here too, which is creepy, man. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it's very it's very creepy, very sad, and this is. Uh, something that I'm interested in, uh, I know Jack, me and you have talked about this before and op, you might be too, but is, is these kind of end of life experiences that people have these kind of conversations. And, and it's just interesting in the aspect that, that, that Bill, his brother is so adamant about the fact that Sam was having a conversation with something. It wasn't confusion. It was, he was focused. I focused on something that he couldn't see and having a conversation and I guess we'll always wonder, was it God? If there's a God, was it God? Uh, was it a, a loved one from the past? Maybe it was his father, you know, who, who was also super religious that he, that he was very close with. And this is one of the most glaring examples, I think, of the tragic, sad clown story. Uh, you know, stand-up comedians, they, they make everybody laugh. It's, it's ironic that in so many cases, they make everybody around them happy when they, even though they themselves are depressed, down, oftentimes addicts. 
there's so many examples. John Belushi, Richard Jenny, Robin Williams, Charles Rocket, Brody Stevens, Chris Farley, Mitch Hedberg, Lenny Bruce, Andy Kaufman, Bill Hicks, Patrice O'Neill, Greg Gerardo, Bernie Mac, Ralphie May. The list goes on and on and on. I think uh, something that uh, that's really special, like uh, some people, some people put um, the brain and the body's abilities into extreme uh, focus when they talk about like drug drug related experiences, like the the discovery phase. Uh, Joe Rogan will talk about ayahuasca. Uh, and the uh, the experiences. Uh, Jack in the past has said, "Do mushrooms, you'll meet God." And I'm a spiritual person personally, and I've never drank, I've never done drugs, I've never uh, never done anything like that. I had a small stint of uh, addiction to uh, to pain painkillers when I broke my neck for th- uh, that went for about three months. But other than that. But I have an appreciation for what uh, is brought up in in these cases where you know Jack says, "Do this, you'll meet God," or 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 Joe talks about uh, you know uh, the discovery that happens on certain psychedelics, or or you know even people that that use some some more common you know like just the way that the body feels when uh, when they use a marijuana. And what I would add to that is, um, and this is not to try to put myself on a different plane, but I believe that what those things are showing us is they're showing us that the body can be unlocked in certain ways to visualize, to understand, to to view the world uh, in a different way. And I believe that that's possible uh, not just through the means of a chemical that we in, in, introduce to the body, but our brains are capable of that being unlocked. So if you take away the utility of what unlocks that, and you just you just stare at that for a minute and say, our bodies and brains have this power, this power that is just just sitting there dormant until we unlock it. I'm on a journey personally to try to unlock that spiritually, um, you know, and that's, that's my own, my own gig. And, and, but I have this, uh, when I see people talk about the experiences they've had uh, unlocking those things through chemical means or, you know, through, through implementation of some, some outside substance, I look at that and rather than, you know, I think a lot of people with spiritual, uh, a spiritual, foundation look at that and get kind of panicky like they're like yeah but that's uh you know that's that's temporary that's a this and that and they get kind of judgy i look at it and i'm like see the body can the brain is built for more than we give it credit for and when i look at something like what sam kinnison experienced personally i believe that god created me and god said hey go down to earth learn to be good learn to be evil. You get to choose. But the one thing that's inseparable is I have this connection, like this leash connected to God, and he's always there. And whether I want to know it or not, or whether I'm dropped into a country or a life where I don't hear about God, I never learn about God, that is always there. And I can't sever that cord. And regardless of where my life goes or the choices that I choose to make, he is there watching that take place and that um, given the opportunity 
to connect, uh, I believe that that we have. He's just waiting for us to do that. This is my belief, and that a guy like Sam. See, the thing is, uh, so many of us believe, whether we believe in in God or, or anything like that, we believe that we can make choices in our life that suddenly put us on a plane where we are not worthy anymore. Whatever that is, worthy of appreciation from our fellow humans worthy of love or compassion friendship all these things that we can make choices that put us on a plane where suddenly we are banished in a way but the one thing i believe is that that is a that is a tether that we can't sever ourselves that it's there regardless of of where we choose to take our life and that sometimes, just like those those experiences uh, on ayahuasca or you know with with acid or or these things where they seem to unlock the brain, we see these little tiny windows at at the point where someone is meeting their you know the last moments of their life, and we see a similar window open. And some may say, see, once again, we're showing that the brain in a traumatic state acts in a magical way. Or, or they 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 act in a delusional way. Or some may say, "This is just another window where where God has said, hey, 'Hey, I've been here all along.'" And if that's true, regardless of whether you believe in God or something else, consider this: that at that moment, we all love life. Nobody wants to die. But in that moment, when those things, when we've seen people experience that, they are willing to go. Like, can you imagine what they see, whether, whether it's, you know, the brain's chemicals mixing up a, a, a vision in front of them, or it's God, or whatever. Can you imagine what they see if they're willing to look to their left or right and see their brother and their wife and all the people that they love? Sorry. And they're willing to just give it up. And they're say, okay, I'm ready to go. Yeah. That's amazing. We're all going to get to see it, too. That's yeah. Yes, you know, it's each one of us. Will. Something that we're all going to. Hey, you, you listening to this? You're going to experience it. I'm going to experience it. Jack's going to experience it. Yeah. Everybody. It's amazing. This is something that we're all going to face one day. And we all think we're unique, right? We all think that we're except for Jack, who's immortal. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, guy's got a liver like made of titanium or something. Okay. There right. it is. I see it. Weird. So, as if this wasn't crazy enough, us sharing our our uh, our opinions on pre-mortal, post-mortal life, we apparently had a ghost in the machine because Jack went away and was frozen, and I couldn't hear him. But apparently, we still recorded everything he said. And then I had to go to the bathroom because I'm my my studio is not as as retrofitted as Jack's with the actual gallon milk jug that I can urinate into. It's a paint bucket, so I had to go use it. Oh, paint bucket! Oh, wow! Moving on up, I had to use a normal toilet. It's got the handle. Oh no, it's a mudding bucket. Oh, for mudding, a mudding. (laughs) Yeah, you know you've made it when you've got a pot to piss in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but while I was gone, you guys said something weird happened in my studio. Yeah, Ken, you're you're a good storyteller. You want to tell what happened if you're not too busy there? 
<clears throat> so me and Jack were just sharing pleasantries, talking about things, whatever, just having a conversation. And the facial recognition system on Ops camera there, which picks up faces and it's pretty accurate, uh, zoomed in as if somebody were walking around inside his booth. And then it zoomed back out. And me and Jack laughed it off. We were like, ah, I just got a ghost, you know, blah, 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 ha, ha, ha. And then Jack jokingly said, hey, if you're in there, show your face and or something along those lines. And then the camera, as if on cue, zoomed in on something that we couldn't see, but the camera clearly could. And since it's designed to pick up faces, what I can only imagine was a face of uh, (laughs) uh, an Indian. (laughs) (laughs) Had to be. First Nations. Mm, First Nations. Good for you, uh, hugs. So the uh, and then we told the operator about what had happened, and he said, "Listen, I'm going to leave the room. I'll record it and try it again." So Kent and I tried to provoke whatever was in there for a little bit, and then as soon as we gave up, and I think one of us said one more thing, it zoomed in to the point that it had never zoomed in before, right on the microphone, and we were talking directly to this face on the mic. It was like it was trying to talk into the microphone to us. You operator, can, can you explain to us like how unlikely that is just to happen? Yeah, no, it's well, it, the camera has technology in it to pick up facial wrecking. So it's like picking up points on a face and it, it knows it's, it's smart. Like, like watch, I move over here. And the camera moves and left. And it moves with me. It wasn't moving before. <laughs> I moved back. No, it, it knows it. No, it never screws up. Like I can sit here the whole time for hours and it just stays right on me. So there's no reason for that so thing I to leave. move unless there's a face in the room. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, exactly. And it so was we were- content <laughs> on zooming in at a very precise point. <laughs> Kent and I you lost it. We lost it. What, the first time it happened, when I asked it to do it, Kent and I both lost it. Both full body. I just had my hands on my head. I- for- <laughs> <laughs> well, we did record the second time, so we're going to post that to our Patreon uh, mm-hmm. as extra content. So if you want to see my stew, stew studio, apparently it haunted yes. go over there. 1159 media, Patreon. Uh, patreon.com forward slash 1159 media. There you go. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, we'll just keep rolling right along here. It's your turn. Uh, um, it's your turn to tell my the story. Turn. My turn. Okay. So I have a question for you guys. Have you ever, been involved in a robbery either as the perpetrator or as the victim go ahead ken do you no okay <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, i haven't i wish there was more but i've i've never i've always missed it just missed mm-hmm. it darn it i've never done a robbery or been uh a a third party in a robbery. All right. Well, uh, I'll I'll pick up the slack then because I I, I was I was robbed uh, by a homeless guy who said he can get me weed one time. I gave him ten bucks. He walked away from me, and I saw him start to run down the street. I, sorry. Here's what happened. He asked me for a cigarette. I asked him if he can get me some weed. He said sure. I pull my wallet out. He grabs it from my hand and throws it into the street. Okay. Also, he pulled the money out of it first. Okay. And throws it into the street. Uh, he threw your hand into the street? No, he, th- he threw my wallet into the street. Oh. So, so, uh, sorry, he asked me for a cigarette. I give him a cigarette. He sees my wallet because I pull up my wallet and my cigarettes. 
And then uh, he's like, he says, do you need any weed? And of course, like at that time, it was like 1998. You'll always need weed. So I'm like, yeah, man. And and I had $20 in my, in my wallet. He pulls the 20 from my wallet in my wallet at the same time and chucks my wallet into the street. So, and he's gone. So I run to the street, grab my wallet, and I chase this guy all around his, a place called Oshawa, Ontario, home of the brave. Oshawa, prepare to be amazed is what, what their slogan is. It's a shit. More swearing. <laughs> and I chased him forever. This guy had been doing like, I don't know, he was like a, a runner in, a past, <laughs> in his previous life. And I chased him all the way into this park and he ran into the park and I knew that park was full of bums and I might get jumped. So I left him alone for 20 bucks. But I, I've also robbed people too, but I don't want to talk about that either. Pot crops. You know, you just rob a pot crop. You sell somebody some clones and they don't give you what they say that the pot, the crop got robbed. Yeah. You might drive out there just to check on it. And if the weed's growing, you're going to take it all. That, that's all I'm saying. It's a victimless yeah. crime. Yeah, what you said. Victimless crime. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let me be very clear on that. If you sell somebody clones of marijuana and they sell it, they, they're going to give you a percentage of that that yield. And then they tell you that that pot crop has been robbed. You're like, okay, well, I guess I'm out on my, on my piece. But if you're like, you know, drinking on a Friday night, like, hey, let's go check out that crop and see if it actually was robbed. And when you show up, the crop is fully in bloom. Let's get the scissors out and cut the whole thing down and take it. Yeah, you got some problems. Yeah, yeah, that's all I'm saying. Well, you know, that also happens with cattle. <laughs> what? Let me explain. Um, what happens sometimes is like um, somebody has land and they're like, hey, I'll, I'll allow your cow to grow up on my land for you to, you know, have beef. So you, so you often you buy a cow as a baby, like a calf. And calves, unless you tag them like on the ear or, you know, whatever, they all kind of look the same. So oftentimes it happens where you'd buy a calf and you throw it on somebody's property and then they come and they're like, uh, your calf died. And I'm like, all the time, how do you know it was my calf? Right. Right. <laughs> so, and then you find out the calf's not even dead. It's like, <laughs> oh, they tried to swap it out. It's yeah. down another field. So one, it's yeah. somebody else's calf that died and they're just saying it's yours or they just move the cow. Cause it's a baby, you know, it's easy to move, hide in a closet or, you know, another field yeah. probably. Do, do you go accurately. afterwards, once you figure it out, do you like, uh, take one of their cows or all of their cows and then go beat the shit Swears. out of them in a trailer? <laughs> you don't, that, that does make your story. There is a nuanced difference between the two in that case, because mo most of the time, these people actually don't, they live in houses too. Right. So that's a thing. Oh, we do th things different in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Tomato, rutabaga. You got it. It's all the same. All right. What's your story? I haven't grown up in Kentucky. Uh, I mean, I've lost count of how many times I ended up beating the shit swearing out of somebody in a trailer <laughs> over cattle. Every, every fight is about cattle in a trailer. Every Tuesday. They're all yeah. about cattle. <laughs> You know, when is a fight not about cattle anymore? It's my, what I think. And when is it not in a trailer? You ever beat somebody up in a trailer, though? There's nowhere to go, man. <laughs> no. 
like fighting in a closet of a normal house. I beat a guy up in an elevator one time too. It was beautiful. It's like you, you ceilings are low. You always end up scraping your knuckles. Yeah. You you got eight more floors of this, bro. I was gonna say you beat him up. He's he's passed out, and then it's just like dun 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 dun. Ding. And they're so sh- sweary, swear. Kitty built that you can throw somebody through a trailer out into the yard. Yes. The walls are paper thin. Well, the thing is, you attack somebody in a small space like that, like an elevator or a trailer, it's like hyper, like, it's a brawl. Like, they keep on coming back towards you because there's nowhere for them to run away. Even if they wanted to run away, they couldn't, so they keep coming towards you because the door is probably behind you. And you take that as an attack. In my experience, you just keep on beating on them until they die. No, I'm just, I, no, wow. until, until they until they stop coming at you, you know. Yeah, I just right. realized that this entire time, Op and Jack were talking about like a cattle trailer. <laughs> I was talking about like a trailer that white people live in, <laughs> like like a trailer. I like think trailer, Jack like was talking. I was talking about a trailer. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. Same okay. thing. I just realized I'm the only one talking about a cattle trailer. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> All right, uh, what do you got? What do you got? All right. Well, okay. My story has everything. It's got the international vacation destinations termed bombed out war zones to American hackers to Diet Coke. So this story starts with an American named Jason. Jason is a bank robber. But Jason doesn't rob banks using a mask and a gun. No, Jason walks right in and heads behind the counter to rob the bank. And more often than not, the bank people just let him do it. How, you might ask, does Jason get away with this? Well, Jason is boring and adorable and invisible and normal and always has a look on his face like he belongs wherever he is. He's also a master of what is called, quote-unquote, social engineering or social engineering if you're from the parts of the UK. Jason knows what makes us humans tick and what makes us uncomfortable and maybe more importantly, what makes us uncomfortable. Jason has one weakness, though, he admits, and it's Diet Coke. He says that it isn't so much that his access to Diet Coke is a problem as much as getting rid of the massive amounts of Diet Coke that he consumes. One time, Jason almost died peeing off a cliff in Bulgaria. Yeah, so this guy's got stories, okay? So this is one of them. This brings us to another really interesting thing about Jason. Uh, He is a big bladdered bank buster. He's an international bank robber. Oh, and also he's good at it. That banks actually hire him to rob their own banks. I forgot to mention that. So like they want him to do this. (laughs) So why would a bank pay to be robbed, you might ask. Well, Jason is a special kind of robber called a white hat robber, and he doesn't look like a regular robber, as I've mentioned. He gets paid to rob the bank through its people and its computers, not the till or the vault. So his type of robbing is called penetration testing or pen testing uh, for short. And since he is tasked with trying to rob a bank through its people and through its computers, this is doubly hard to penetrate. Uh, He works to penetrate people and stick things into ports where he shouldn't be allowed to. So... (laughs) lot of innuendos here yeah trying not to interrupt I, I, here but man unreal i don't know what you're talking about 
So, so in short, he gets hired all over the land portion of the earth to see if he can penetrate for money. <laughs> Very unique career. It's almost like he operates his stuff, so we have to, you know, interrupt. Yeah, yeah. But leaving him alone is funnier, so we'll do that. But I feel like that I, meme of that kid where he's just <laughs> like veins are popping <laughs> out of his head. Yeah, like he's yeah. taking the hugest dump of all time. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, so we'll just move on. One day, Jason gets a call from Beirut, the capital capital city of Lebanon. Hello, this is Jason. Hello, Jason. This is Beirut. Can you rob our bank? (laughs) Be right there. Jason says as he suits up in a leather DEFCON jacket, red Thundercat tennis shoes, and two shirts. One khaki, one on top of that with a collar. He needs to look like a local Beirutian, and this is the customary attire in the capital city of Lebanon. Just a quick note on Beirut, by the way. In case you were just born and haven't been knowing your geology or born under Iraq, which would mean you were born in Saudi Arabia, which is under Iraq. (laughs) Beirut. Has, has had a complex history. It was an amazing place. Before becoming the poster child for political and urban warfare, it was dubbed... <laughs> it, was, it was dubbed the Paris of the Middle East. In the first parts of the 20th century, it had French architecture, which developed over the near 1,000-year ties to the country of France. It had world-class cuisine. It had women's colleges, Western-influenced fashion, and had a balance of Christian and Muslim religions and people living together in relative harmony. Then, in the 1975s, civil war broke out, and many of the superpowers in the world got involved. Many Middle Eastern countries, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or PLO, got involved. Israel, Iran, France, and the Soviet Union, and even the U.S. But the biggest influence came from Syria, led by the ruling Assad family. You might have heard of the Assads. We've been dealing with them lately. Also, Bashar Assad. Is that ringing any bells for you guys? Well, Kent just started having a seizure. He's a PTSD and... Sorry, kid. Let me just it's ringing a lot of fucking bells. I'll stop saying Bashar Assad. <laughs> Seriously, though. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. This might be a little bit of a pain point for for some of us involved. Um, His head dips every anyway. time you say anything in that realm, man. <laughs> so the Arab, the the, the Assads. Uh, they had a party, a, a political party called the Arab Socialist Bath Party, not to be confused with the Bath Party that they had during the 2010 critically acclaimed movie Hot Tub Time Machine. No, this party was just about the opposite. In this party, the ladies were now required to cover up their whole body and top face, side face and back face. Also, the women's colleges fell a lot more flat than frat during that time. Pretty much every building got bombed. And over 100,000 people died. This is an oversimplification, obviously, of one of the most terrible urban disasters in modern history. But I'll leave it there since this history is about bank robbing and less about bank bombing. Okay? Okay. So, today, 
Beirut's on the mend from all these problems. That oh, okay, one more thing happened in 2020, as if Beirut didn't have enough problems. There was an accidental explosion that now it registers as the sixth largest accidental explosion in history. You might have seen this video online. Happened in 2020. It was kicked off when 2,750 tons. Of improperly stored ammonium nitrate went up like a Roman candle, or more appropriately, maybe an Eid Mubarak candle. Isn't it crazy that it that's read- almost a distant, distant memory at this point? There, uh- yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Think about what's happened since then. Like, you know, we've had a, we've had a president come into power. We've had viruses yeah. and a lot of stay-at-home school. Mm-hmm. Sorry, oof. Well, this explosion it registered as a 3.5 magnitude earthquake, and was felt as far away as Cyprus, more than 100 miles away. It caused about 4.8 billion dollars in damages, and the city's been diligently repairing itself ever since. This includes banks, okay? And as as you as you segue into that, and this is the last time I'll interrupt you, man. Full respect to you. This is your podcast and everything else. We you didn't interrupt, interrupt me, or we didn't interrupt, interrupt Kent. But I feel like I want to say something here about about this, about things that were forgotten, and we mm-hmm. don't need to talk about this much. But keep it in mind that COVID came into play when the Hong Kong riots for freedom started to happen, and I'm I'm really? just. I'm just saying, like these are the type of things that people start to forget, like because so much happened at one time. You're like, oh yeah, yeah there was riots in Hong Kong, China, and then suddenly the. I'm not saying that that's what happened, but it's it's a it's a it's a point of um, conversation. That the ca- timing was certainly <laughs> ideal. <laughs> it's, but it's a conversation <laughs> that like, got swept under the rug with all the other stuff yeah. that started happening too. It was a big year, right? Exactly. Well, to your point, one of the things Very that beneficial happened- for the Chinese government, one could argue. <laughs> Ken saying it. Ken saying it. To your point, though, how how quickly the eye of the world yes steers away from things. So, for example, a couple of years ago, we had what was called the Arab Spring. Do you remember this thing, mm-hmm. the Arab Spring? Mm-hmm. So it was basically freedom a, a bunch of protests in the middle east about about freedom and, and 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 opposing the rule that they were under at the time a lot of this lots lost some momentum when whole countries turned off the internet and we were just like oh i guess i guess that went away well, what's next yeah hey look look more cats playing piano What a time to be a dictator. What a time to be an under, you know, under the radar dictator, like pulling strings. What a time to be pulling strings. Here's what happens. So Beirut is repairing itself from the last major explosion, which, you know, apparently was an accident. Nobody was to to blame. Huge explosion. But huge. Huge. Just just number six. Number six is. Haven't seen it since like Nagasaki, dude. Like, yeah, it was like well, the mother no. of all bombs. I mean, it was like a hundredth of that. Sorry, up, but it was a big explosion Actually, caught on tape. It was caught on tape, and Kent. Uh, one more word you might be aware of is Moab. Oh yeah, mother of mother all bombs. Of all bombs. <laughs> This registered larger than a Moab, so that's something. Wow. Anyway, so they're picking up the pieces. They're trying to get back to normal 
in Beirut um, after all of this, all these problems. And because it's the capital of Lebanon, there are a lot of banks there. So, like I said, Beirut calls Jason. Jason answers the phone and he's off to Beirut. So he is hired to go and rob a bank and penetrate its tellers. <laughs> okay, the way this plays out is he has a minder or a member of the bank's own security staff who acts as his kind of get-out-of-jail-free card in the event that Jason is stopped during the robbery attempt. The minder scheduled a ride, in this case, to the street next to the bank and dropped him off. At this point, Jason is completely on his own. The game is started. Okay, so in his first job for this banking company, he's tasked with robbing three of its locations within three days. It turned out he was able to successfully rob the first bank within two minutes and 20-something seconds. He appeared to look official and also acted adorable, as he puts it. He looked like a tech auditor, had a fake badge on, and just walked behind the counter down the hall and started with the manager's office, followed by an executive's office, Claiming to be doing a routine audit, he was able to plug in a USB stick into both computers, which would have then given him complete access to the bank's network had he actually had ill intentions. So he proceeded to hack every teller's computer and was even standing next to a teller while they helped a patron make a cash deposit of over $200,000. Jason said that he could have reached over and just physically taken a stack of cash if he wanted at one point while neither party was looking. <laughs> so, wow. Jason does everything he can to try and not seem like a criminal and then make people feel like he fits in. He hugs people a lot. He uses a USB drive that's in the shape of a rubber ducky. And most importantly, he never cracks under any circumstance. So the people in the banks that he robs for this particular client felt so comfortable with him that the manager of the bank asked him to check out issues that they had been having with other computers. So Jason unplugged one, picked it up, and told them he'd get it replaced and just walked it outside to his car. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Needless to say, Jason slayed it with this client, robbing all three banks in three days with time to spare. Uh, so victorious, he catches a plane home, reveling in another terrible job done to perfection. After a few years of working elsewhere in the world, Jason gets a call from another bank in Beirut. He arrives, meets with his handler, who drove him to a side road next to the bank. As usual, Jason had filled up on Diet Coke for breakfast, and so he needed to lose a couple liters before he robs this particular bank. So he got out of the car, ready to scope out a bathroom before he goes into the bank so that the John isn't the first impression that the tellers have of him. So the minder points down the sidewalk and tells him that he'll meet him in the bank two minutes behind him after Jason's entrance so it doesn't appear that they're together yet to ensure that Jason has this get-out-of-jail-free card if or when he needs it. Jason looks through a few shop windows on the sidewalk and can't find the restroom, so he decides to go ahead and just make his way into the bank, knowing that European bathrooms are always on another floor, so he might be able to pass by unnoticed and drop a couple drops before he gets to work. Everything came out okay, and he headed to the main level of the bank after that. As he's descending the stairs, he sees two bank employees working in a little cubicle, so he decides to make them his first target. He approached them 
<clears throat> he approaches them in his usual official yet adorable fashion, tells them that he's with Microsoft, which is a total lie, shows them a fake Microsoft badge that he printed out earlier, waves his rubber ducky USB device in front of them and tells them that he has to run an audit on the computer that they're on. So he does it successfully and moves on to the next target. He easily convinces the next teller to allow him to jump on their computer and bam, he's done. The whole engagement is finished. All goals have been met and he has all the data that he needs to prove that his security awareness engagement would have easily compromised their whole network and allowed him in. But Jason's got some momentum going now. So he heads to the next computer and starts his whole speech again. But this time he's approached by another guy who asks him what he's doing there. Jason has been in this particular situation tons of times and he's totally prepared for it. So he pulls out an iPad, explains that he's with Microsoft and pulls up a forged email with the bank's information and some gobbledygook about the audit that he was doing. Albeit all the information was fake, but he knew that it worked like a charm in the past. The gentleman doesn't look at any of the email and simply tells him that he's got to present this to the supervisor. So he walks Jason over to the supervisor. She takes the iPad and reviews the email. But this time, this time, it takes a bit longer. The woman spends just a titch more time looking over the email, and then the woman's expression completely changes. Her face turns into a scowl, and she fixes her stare on Jason, and in short measured words she says this is for the bank next door what are you doing here and what did you plug into our computers <laughs> jason Whoa. is speechless he just looked back at the supervisor in absolute disbelief unprepared for this scenario he simply he just muttered, actually robbed a bank he robbed the wrong bank <laughs> And all that comes out of his that wasn't in on this gig. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Successfully, mind you. He did it successfully. But, like, so he can only state this. He just mutters, this is unfortunate. Um, this is unfortunate. I, sh I should not be here. <laughs> so he's whisked into the manager's office where he's surrounded by bank staff, all angrily conversing to one another with with uh, amongst one another in Arabic. Jason panics a bit and wants to help de-escalate the situation. So he says, "Guys, guys, you can google me. I'm known for this. It's totally fine. I was supposed to be doing an engagement. I'm hired by the bank. I'll be at the wrong bank, but he's trying to convey the fact that he is innocent, right? So he says, "This is what I do. Look." And he proceeds to plug his rubber ducky into the computer in the manager's office <laughs> to show them the simple text document that pops up proving that he quote unquote could have compromised their system. At the moment he did that, I'm sure that he thought, this is a good idea. This will help them see that I'm okay, adorable guy. But they watched him do this in horror, having now plugged his USB stick into yet another of the wrong bank's computers. So Jack finally makes contact with his minder from the other bank, who finds him in the wrong bank and works to explain everything to the now doubly angered bank employees surrounding Jason. This bank insists that Jason needs to go immediately by escort to the head office where their security team inspects the payload of stuff on his USB stick. 
This whole time, Jason is not feeling like this is going to end well. He began reflecting on the fact that he'd never really looked into the quality of Lebanese prisons, but he desperately didn't want to find out what they were like. At headquarters, the security confirmed that everything was fine and that the USB stick was not intended to do any harm. Uh, he continued to turn on his charm, hugging people, being self-deprecating, and spending about two hours educating them on how he was able to do all of these things that he had done, even though he was in the wrong bank. At the end of the day, the head of security for the bank that Jason had compromised spoke with the guy who hired him to do the job, and Jason overhears him say, So, do we split the costs for this? <laughs> So Jason's finally free, yet his nerves really haven't quite convinced him of that. As he's walking out with his client, he looks back at the bank employees, clicks his rings, clink, clinking his wrists together like handcuffs, and sheepishly asks, we're good, I can go, I, I don't go to jail. To which the head of security says, yes, you are good, you can go. But he really wasn't convinced that he was in the clear until about three days later when his his feet and the rubber ducky touched down in Paris. Uh, Jason didn't end that trip there, though. He actually went to the correct bank and in Jason's typical adorable style, made his way through that bank as swiftly as the Diet Coke pumping through his veins. Quite the hacker. <laughs> Quite the story, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It's one thing to rob a bank, but it's a whole nother thing to rob the wrong bank. Yes. So. Yes. I went to, uh, I'm sorry, I got to tell you something in a second here, what happened to me while you were telling me, telling us that, <clears throat> which is crazy that we were recording this and uh, it's about hugs and, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, anyways, when I, when I was, uh, when I worked at a call center, uh, for Service Master Lawn Care. It was a lawn care company that was in competition with, uh, with Weed Man. Um, man, I've lost my entire train of thought. One of my friends just killed himself. Uh, just I, now? Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got it on my, uh, on my uh, messaging. While we're talking, yeah. one of your friends? Yeah. Not a very close friend, but um, a friend of my, my kid's uh, he just killed himself and he, he's around my age and we know him from town all that kind of thing. And, uh, my son heard it through like a texting thing. And it's, it's wild because just out of nowhere like that, doing a podcast like this, about something as lighthearted as, as, as we're trying to do that, that something like that can happen in a small place, like where, where I am. He, uh, I don't know how he did it, but I just saw the guy recently. And uh, he killed himself. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh oh. at that, but but I got the message at halfway through you talking there. And uh, yeah, it's right here, man. Wow, it's right here. I'm sorry. You ever find yourself thinking whenever this stuff like this happens? Because what always goes through my mind is like, uh, wow, nothing. Like he doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. 
and everything is still going, just going about. That's, thank, going, thanks for saying that, Kent, because because Ops telling such a great story there, and there's so many things that I want to talk about on top of his story. And for as much as I've interrupted his story, and he deserves, he's put a lot of work into that story. And then halfway through the story, I get this message like this: this guy killed himself. I'm like, are you serious? That's why I left the room, right? Like I went to go confirm it, and I'm like, like wow, man, we're we're in here recording a positive podcast. And somewhere in this very small town in the middle of nowhere, a, a man, I'm assuming, knowing him, decided to, sh- to possibly shoot himself. And uh, I'm sorry, Al. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I tried for a second there to, to, to tail it onto a story, but I, 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 I have this um, mechanism in my mind that I can't not say what's exactly on my mind. I apologize. Hey. That's all right. I think that's this is kind of maybe the point of this. Maybe this show is while while everybody's earballs are connected to the show, we're all hurting, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody's got their own pain or discomfort or something, and and this kind of a thing that we're trying to do is a respite from those things. And sometimes this is just a really good. Jeez, uh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to show you. I'm not trying to hijack your shit there. You, can, wow. you might not be able to see it. Um, yeah, no, sorry, it, go it, ahead. It, I, think it just, I think it just goes to show that um, you remember you remember when uh, when you were thinking about getting married or, or Jack, you're still thinking about it, you know, <laughs> or you buy your first car or you think about having your first kid and, and the, the youthful ignorance in each of us goes, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to get there. We're just waiting for the right time. Right, right. You know? Right. You're just waiting for the right time. That's life. That That is literally how we deal with so many things. I'm hurting, but this should go away. I just need to give it a little more time. Right. Or I'm in a bad position or situation or relationship or, or whatever. I just need to, you know, but this podcast makes me feel better. Um, yeah. Really what I think it comes down to is, is, is it's just like Kent just said, you know, at one point, we're all going to just kind of go poof. And all that's left is what we've done and what we've made at the time. Right. And yeah. And every, I, I think one of the best things in this kind of a situation, in the situation that each and every one of us finds ourselves in right now is you will never feel like you are at the lowest low. If you can find a way to serve someone else, whether that's, something stupid like a hug or calling someone that you haven't told them that you love them. There you go. Right there. Right. What you said right there. Or drag a thing of ready-made brownies over to somebody or just say hi. Yeah. Because somebody always has it worth worse. And when we serve, we get to see those opportunities and, and service does two things. One, it helps the other person, but it also helps us to know that it could always maybe be a bit different. You know? Right, and again, man, I'm sorry to hijack your, your call. Like I know you worked really hard on that, but it, it happened right there. And, and what you're saying, I really appreciate. And what Ken said right there too. Uh, it's strange to be happening on on this this podcast in this way for a few strange things that have happened here. But you immediately think, like you said there, Ken, like they disappear, and then, but also you think, when was the last time I spoke to this person, and yeah. where could have where could have I have 
done something. And I immediately said something. Yeah. And I immediately thought, like, I'm like, oh, I thought he was down. But there's a lot of people that you see that are down, you know? And but that's the point. You but that's hindsight is also 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, how many people do you come across every day that you know uh, as acquaintances that you think are down? They don't kill themselves. That's what I'm saying, though. Ken. You know, it's that's what I'm saying, though. But sorry to cut you off, but that's what I'm saying, though. Like all those times where you let them slide, where you're like, I'm a little bit too busy. I'm a little bit, you know, like uh, I see it, but I'm not gonna. Maybe next time. And you know, Ken, I, I know you have a, a situation on on your side that happened to that, like like in around this area uh, recently. Yeah, where it's like um, you tell yourself you didn't know what to say or, or or whatever. But but here's the thing: you can always be positive in in the spirit of the Hugs podcast. You can you can always put it out there that you are willing to give, willing to willing to talk. Willing to not, I'm not going to say give a hug. You don't want to go hugging everybody, but you're willing. You're you're an open person to come into their sphere. I have many people. I'm sure you guys have the same people in your lives where you sense it, and you might just go by there. I have a guy that I went by and I bought him a 15 pack of beer, and he was like, "Why'd you bring this to me?" And I was like, "Well, I just I know it's Sunday. You can't buy beer. I saw you get rejected from the vendor because they were closed, and I saw that you were a little bit down, so I wanted to give you 15 to get through to tomorrow." And he started to cry. Because I I knew it when when you know it yeah. when you feel it and you 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 ignore it uh, that's no good if you sense it go like with this guy that I'm talking about right here and I won't go too much into it but like I sensed it and it's not up to me but maybe in another realm I say hey man come talk to me for a second are you all right you know. Or even not saying you're you're all right. Just the fact that you were there to add a little bit of a diversion. Because there's two sides to this, right? There's there's the side of us where we feel at this point in time that we are capable of giving. We have means, time, energy, talent, money, whatever those things are that we can help others. The other side of this is very important to remember, too, because some people listening and us ourselves, maybe we're we're sitting here feeling like we don't have means. We, we're barely hanging on ourselves, right? But remember this. Remember, you remember last week when you had that one thought and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And then do you remember the week before that when you had a thought that was like, I'm not going to be able to, I don't know, I can't see tomorrow. I don't know how I get through this. You're here today. You made it. And yeah. And every day is another day of making it. And there's not a lot of people that get to the end of their life dying in nat- of natural causes surrounded, you know, by whomever and say, ah, dang it. There were so many days that were insurmountable that I didn't surmount. Yeah, You surmounted them all. Mm-hmm. You just keep going. You just keep, keep, just if nothing else, keep breathing. Yes, absolutely. And, and you'll get sleep on it. Sleep on sleep it. Sleep on it. Kent, have you have you uh, you've had friends who who have? No, um, oh, yes, many. Yeah, and in the military. Yeah, in the military. Yeah. Right, and what, yeah. do you feel uh, the same? Suicide is one of the biggest issues that like, um, that 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 the VA is actually dealing with right now. A lot of guys, not a lot of guys that I was close to, but a lot of guys from from my second battalion that I was that I was with. Um, a lot of guys. They had one not, and then one that I just not too long ago, a guy that I was in boot camp with, 
Uh, great dude. Uh, just never said anything to anybody. Just took a rifle out way back into the woods. Uh, sat down on a log and, and killed himself. And then they didn't find him. He was missing for, I don't know, probably about two weeks till a hunter found him. Yeah. But mm-hmm. never said anything to anybody. Never uh, reached out. Never. And that's a lot of the t- a lot of the times, uh, people that are going to go through with it, that, that's how it, in my experience, that's how it happens. There's a quiet before the storm type thing. They kind of, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what happened here, for sure, for sure. Yeah, everybody out there listening, you know, this podcast wasn't meant to, meant to end this way by any means. We, we, we intentionally made it like uh, Jack starts off with like a little bit of a screwed up story, but I switched mine a bit. Ken comes in with a kind of a shrug that's like an anti-hug where it's just a story about anything. And then the operator comes in with a hug, something that makes you feel like, you know, like good. You know, it's, it's just fun. And he was doing that up until uh, this happened in, in my world. And uh, I, don't, I don't really know what to say about it other than it. But the thing is, we're human beings. We're people. And we have human uh, experiences mm-hmm. and we may have been trying to record a pod, but this is something real and that's a human experience. Like Jack Luna is a, is a person. And unfortunately th- he found this out in the middle of doing a recording and that's reality. That That's, you know, and I don't want to put too pretty of a bow on this, but really <laughs> this episode is kind of, kind of, Feeling good about this. Uh, yeah, me too. Well, it's mimic- out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> this is a banger, guys. No, but it's kind Ap- of aptly named. <laughs> it's mimicked. It's mimicked life, right? I mean, we 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 end this episode maybe on a bit more of a galumph than we wanted, but guess yeah. what? There's another one coming. Yeah, it'll be just better. like our days. You know, yes. Yeah. Like like Kent said, sleep on it. <laughs> Don't take anything when you go to sleep. Just you know, just sleep, sleep on, on it. it. Yeah. Yeah. The, I don't know the if the more time you get between better. that event that you think is the one that's going to end you, the more time you get away from it, distance gives perspective. And I think nine times out of 10, you're going to be like, wow, that was ridiculous to be that upset or that down or that yeah. angry or that depressed over that thing. I think uh, Jason Vukovic said it very well from your your podcast there, Kent, and I did one with him as well. I think that was a little bit off off camera, but he said as bad as it's ever going to be, it's already been, you know, and as good as you're going to yeah. be, you've already been yeah. that good. And it's up to you. And like the he, he didn't say this exactly, but I'm paraphrasing. But it's like you can be better the next day, or something worse can happen to you the next day, or everything you were meant to be is exactly what you are in this moment. But everything you can be in the future is what you decide to be in the steps that you would take towards that path as well, right? And it kind of goes yeah. along like a five-year rule some people set. But for for the for the guy that I'm talking about right here, or anybody who's done this, done this, he has a family. I, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's it's still sinking in here. What I'm going to have to kind of uh, negotiate or deal with. Uh, but um, there's also fallout from 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 decision the decisions that you make like absolute decisions like this and mm-hmm. um it's it's worth like like Kent said sleeping on it it absolutely is yeah. i'm a little skewed yep. i'm a little skewed so i can't really put it all into words but but like Kent said give, give sleep on it sleep on it i th- i think that um jack you and i watched a video a little while ago of a gentleman saying money doesn't change you it just makes you more of what you already are. 
And I think that um, that's true with anything. We, we all kind of hope for a lottery win. We all hope for a big swelling change in our life. But true positive change takes, takes lots of time, takes lots of baby steps. And the big watershed moments in our lives, all they're going to do is amplify what we already are, good or bad. And so rather than holding off and waiting for the next big thing, the next big change, pushing off change to tomorrow, just baby step it. Hey, so the way we're going to end this, well, the way we're going to end every episode is we got what's called just a hug drawer. Thank you. Bob. It's like the junk drawer, but it's just positivity. It's just something we want to just grab out of the middle of our brains or our heart spaces or whatever, whatever. It's just something that sparked us lately. Um, and, uh, Jack, you got something? Sure, yeah. I'll shout out uh, a podcast. I'll do this all the way going forward. I'll shout out just an uh, unknown podcast. The first one I got to do is my brother, Leroy Luna. Excuse me, that's illegal. It's a podcast about softcore crimes. Taking a hardcore look at softcore crimes. And what he does I is he that. covers he covers like a woman shitting on somebody's lawn multiple times during her jog. And she called the mad pooper. You know, uh, somebody pissing on the back of somebody's legs. Like just like weird little crimes that normally a true crime podcast wouldn't cover. And my brother Leroy Luna with excuse me, that's illegal uh, covers softcore crimes. So check out, excuse me, that's illegal. I'll shout that out. He's really could have almost, I mean, with as many episodes as he has now and all the cases he's covered, it almost could have been called, excuse me, that's fecal because <laughs> there's a lot of poop, a lot of poop <laughs> in softcore crime. <laughs> yes. There's a whole Poop a love. shocking amount of feces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it may be that that's just the way the world is, or it might be just whatever he has access to. I fear looking at Leroy's ad, you know, the ads that show up based on your search history. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or just his search history. His search history. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. even want to go there. <laughs> oh, he's yeah. a good guy. That's mine. Kent, Kent, you got anything? Yeah. Um, I'm a big cinephile. Uh, yeah, that's what Jesus is for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, uh, I think all three of us are. We all love movies. We talk a lot of a lot of time we spend talking about movies. There's a podcast that I really love called Rogues Gallery, and oh. uh, they they do kind of these. It's hosted by a fellow by the name of Chris, who I think is really funny. He he tickles me. Uh, I think. And he's also extremely knowledgeable on films. And Rogue's Gallery is just kind of each episode they they take a bad guy uh, from a movie and they analyze it uh, in depth. They, not only the movie itself, but the evolution of the character. So causative traumas, you know, stuff like that. The psycho the psychology behind the the, the character, and it could be anybody from Jason Voorhees um, to Freddy Krueger to to you know the Joker from Batman. Uh, and it's uh, just it's not just horror movies. It's it's all movies, just bad guys from horror movies uh, from movies. What's it called? Um, it's, it's, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. It's called Rogues Gallery. OK, gotcha. Really great podcast. I love it. And uh, and they just get, dive deep into the the character, the, the bad guy of the story and and childhood traumas, what happened to them, the psychology methods of killing and everything. It's just really interesting. Huh? Cool. We'll check that Me out. Too. I'm always into the repercussions of childhood trauma. So <laughs> well, 
I'll check that one out for sure. That's cool. <laughs> Mr. Butterlips. Hey, my... <laughs> you shut your mouth. <laughs> um, mine, uh, I would be remiss and also probably sued if I didn't mention this podcast called The Darknet Diaries. Uh, it's actually where I grifted today's story from. Uh, and it's one of just a, a crazy number of episodes that leave you your nerdy geeky self jaw dropped and amazed at the things that happen on the dark side of the internet. Uh, and don't immediately rush to think that it's all about, you know, uh, child porn and, and, uh, you know, sex trafficking. No, these are, these are crazy stories. Like the one you just heard today about just, uh, the way the world is manipulated through code. Uh, so if you have any inkling toward tech or or you're a bit of a dork or a geek or a nerd or any of those things, or you were beaten up as a child, or you might you know be a superhero that's now turned villain, check out Darknet Diaries to today. I'm sure you'll like it. Bum, bum, ba, it's all good. I'm not sure what I was going on about Weed Man when you ended your story, but I think it had something to do. I'll say real fast that we had a guy come in. He used to um, rob banks, and he was telling us all about how you manipulate a customer type of thing, and he was hired to come in and tell us how to work with people. It was about, like, um, oh. what co- how could we get to your service today? You know, like, they would call to try to make a reservation for um, a car, or, or and yeah. another service that I saw him at as well was uh, for weed care and they would call you okay. and you'd think that would be easy to lock down that deal, but no, they're looking for different places where they can get a better deal. So his thing was always like, what, what, what can we do to get to your, you know, your, your oh, to, to make see. it, uh, make us your service today. And, uh, he was yeah. very good at manipulating systems and he was going down to the levels of lawn care. Um, so that's what I was trying to say before this dude killed himself. So, yeah, there's that. It was kind of anticlimactic. I'm sorry, man. I, I can't. I can't. Let's act. No, you did. You you uh, you did. You, you you responded in the appropriate fashion, live and uh, in front of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm an idiot, man. I can't. I can't. And like, talk uh, about like your heart in your sleeve. I can't. It's crazy. Uh, well, I'll say one more thing. Um, so this Darknet Diaries, the, it, there are so many little things that you pick up. Like, oh, no, I do that all the time when I get this email that says, you could have won this money. Click here. Oh, no, I do that all the time. I, f- I pride myself on being pretty technically savvy and not falling for a lot of traps, right? Um, but I did this thing the other day where I was like, oh, no, I think I might have just screwed myself. Um I was listening to an episode of Darknet Diaries and they were talking about how that they can put code inside of a JPEG or a picture online, right? So you view this JPEG and it it is dropping code on your computer and in essence hacking you and exposing your computer to whoever is on the other end. Um, and somebody sent me a picture the other day through Facebook Messenger, and it was a very is innocent picture, and I'm actually familiar with the person, so I wasn't really worried about it, except for the fact that every time I tried to click on the picture, it wouldn't open in anything. It just was like, dunk, 
donk. And here I am. I clicked like 40 times on the picture. I was right-clicking on it. I was viewing the back end, trying to figure out, well, what's wrong with this picture? I'm pretty sure I got hacked <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> from that photo. They got you with the same thing that they get like 73-year-old grandmas with. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you log good. in too? Yeah, put your passwords in. Yeah, just verify with no, your credit card bit, number. Yeah, this was a bit different than those, you know, those bait scams where they're like, "Look at this video I found of you. Did you know this was out there?" And you know, then we're all idiots and we it click on a thing. Who's got a video of me? So, yeah, I know that that's not the case because I got rid of all of my, all of my uh, sorted images on my on my camera phone before I started being the operator. Good call. I think. Falling for that one again. No, yeah, never again. <laughs> Not again. That's what Kent said. That's what Jack says every time he goes on scouting trips. <laughs> oh, anyway. I'm beating down, man. <laughs> I can't so much myself. more to come. Yeah. <laughs> Jack's gonna go do something now. Kent's probably gonna, I don't know. Go to work. Sleep on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to go. <laughs> Kent works Mondays and Tuesdays, and he's an hour late for that job. That's the only secure oh thing in his life. Well, you guys go do your day. I'll start on the next episode, All and right. uh, hopefully at least 10% of you will join us for the next one. Um, hugs, everyone. Can I say one thing before we go? Um, how beneficial was COVID for the Chinese oh, no, government? No, no, no. <laughs> No, okay. Hugs. Hugs. Hugs.